Hello, everybody, and welcome to the party. Today, we are celebrating the very first birthday of All In. My name is Eric, the Ender Dragon. And I'm Seth Station, Silicon Valley. Folks, there's a lot to talk about this week in our birthday news roundup. Between Summer Game Fest, Day of the Devs, and E3 starting, man, it really feels like the entire industry is showing up to celebrate our birthday in style. It's clearly all for us. Clearly all for us, Seth. <laughs> That's absolutely right. The first year of All In is in the books, and the video games industry is certainly making sure to make our birthday weekend one to remember. And since we've already mentioned E3, we thought we would throw them quite a bit of love since they are throwing us quite a bit our way for our birthday. We are going to be counting down our top five Nintendo moments in E3 history. And you know what's crazy? Indie Game the Movie retroactively lined up their birthday with ours, Eric. So nice of them. Uh, that movie is celebrating its ninth birthday today alongside us, and we're going to throw some love their way as well. We're going to be talking about one of the indie games featured in Indie Game the Movie for our indie showcase this week, All About Fez. But let's not forget our main event, buddy, to kick off this amazing jam-packed weekend full of huge announcements we actually have a few announcements of our own to lay on you guys this episode we're going to be announcing a bunch of new stuff coming to your favorite nintendo podcast in year two we hope you guys are ready because we are continuing to grow and get bigger and better are you ready to do this oh yeah that's something you guys are not going to want to miss it's been a great first year but we are just getting started it's time to go all in. I cannot believe it, but it's been a year. It's been a year of all in a Nintendo podcast, the weekly Nintendo variety show where each and every Saturday, no shells left unturned and no point is left unearned. Man, can you believe we've been doing this thing every single week for a year? Yeah. For a second, I thought you were talking about how long we've been waiting on the switch pro, but yes, it's actually <laughs> been a full year since we've started this lovely little passion project of ours all in a Nintendo podcast. It's been a heck of a year. And a huge, huge thank you to all of you guys, all of our lovely, wonderful, amazing, talented, uh, generous, uh, all the superlatives in the world, listeners, for coming <laughs> with us on this journey. We hope you'll continue to come with us because we have a lot of surprises in store, and we will get to those later on. Oh, yes. So much to talk about, so much to get into. We wanted to make sure you guys were still going to get a business-as-usual episode of All In, the same show you know and love, so of course... We've still got a great indie showcase, a great top five in store, but you know, we gotta, we, it's, it's our birthday. We got to celebrate ourselves a little bit too, but before we get into all of that, sir, what's been going on this week? Well, I did something really, really exciting this past Wednesday. I did an IRL thing. What? I know. I know I did an IRL thing. I stepped away from my screen. I stepped away from my video games and my streaming apps, and I actually went outside. I saw the sun for the first time in what seems like forever. Obviously, the past the year- The ceiling is so high out there. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> you can barely even see it. It's insane. <laughs> Everything looks so high def. 
But <laughs> obviously the past year has made a lot of things very difficult, especially when it comes to live events and sports and, and a ton of stuff like that. And I, I love doing so. I love going to live events. I love going out and experiencing things. And for the first time in a long time, I was able to go out and I was able to go see a baseball game. Nashville, a lot of people, you know, talk about the Tennessee Titans and the Nashville Predators. And we even have a a major league soccer franchise in Nashville now. But almost no love outside of Nashville gets thrown to the Nashville Sounds. Nashville's triple A uh, baseball team. I've, I love the Nashville Sounds. I've went to quite a few games over the years. And I was finally able to go to a Nashville Sounds game for the first time in a long time this past Wednesday. And, oh, man, it was an absolute blast. It was so much fun. And the game itself was great. The the game itself had everything. You had back-to-back home runs. You had diving highlight reel catches. You had double plays. You had – there was a lot of stuff going on. It was a really fun game to watch, a fantastic first sporting event uh, for the past couple years. And one of the cool things was they did a, a really cool giveaway, so I got a free baseball cap out of it nice. and uh they're even as collectors cups now they had all the cups and all the the uh the merchandise made for the 2020 season last year which wound up not happening obviously a lot of pro level sports had shortened condensed seasons but for minor league baseball like there just wasn't a season at all the Sounds didn't play any games in 2020, but they still had all the merch. They still had all the the items made up. So they're now giving away. They're selling a lot of the the 2020 season stuff as collectibles, as the Makes season sense. that never was. So I actually have a Sounds, a Nashville Sounds 2020 Collector's Cup for the season that never was. And I actually think that's kind of cool. But that is cool. I like that. Yeah, I'm I'm a huge like when I go out and do anything, when I go out and see a movie, I you know, get the ginormous like 72, 72 ounce soda with the, you know, extra large popcorn. Whenever I go out to a baseball game, you got to get the pretzels and the like I'm I'm straight up I'm the peanuts and cracker jacks guy. I go <laughs> I go for the whole experience. I absolutely love doing it and it's the, the first time I've been able to do it and it feels like forever. So Oh, I had an absolute blast. Couldn't have had more fun that night. What a great night. I'm so glad you got to do that, man. I mean, yeah, it's been, it's important to remember now that we're starting to slowly get back to some semblance of normalcy. uh, It's important to kind of remember who we are and the things that we like to do before the horribleness of 2020 sat in. So yeah, really glad you got to do that. Yeah, love Nashville Sounds. Hopefully, I will get to be uh, going to more games in the near future. But even outside of that, even outside of going to a Nashville Sounds game, I was able to visit a place just yesterday that I've been wanting to visit for so, so long. I've been wanting to go to this place for so, so long, and I was finally able to yesterday. You know where that is, Seth? Where's that? Washington Heights. (laughs) Oh, I still need to watch it. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Last year, I became quite enamored with Hamilton when it released on Disney Plus, the smash Broadway sensation that practically redefined the entire concept of musical theater, masterminded by the insanely talented Lin-Manuel Miranda, who's gone on to do all kinds of stuff. He directed Crazy Rich Asians. He's done all kinds of music for stuff like Moana and, of course, very famously starred in the Mary Poppins sequel. But 
in the Heights was his first kind of big breakout musical play, the production that he did before he became this worldwide phenomenon with Hamilton. Right. And they wound up finally turning in the Heights into a feature length, huge movie musical production. And it was supposed to come out like last June, like straight up a year ago, but obviously COVID that's really all we need to say on that regard. But it finally came to HBO Max yesterday. It's also showing in theaters. But if you have HBO Max, you can stay safe. You can stay at home and watch the two and a half hour musical extravaganza from the comfort of your own living room. It is oh, so much fun. It's so much fun. I enjoyed it so, so much. It's, you know, unlike Hamilton, which was essentially just a filmed version of the stage production in the Heights is, you know, a straight up on set on site you know big budget movie but it still it very much has this feel of a stage play the ensemble the big spectacle ensemble musical dance numbers that they had with the cast just these huge massive numbers and i enjoyed it quite a bit i'm probably going to wind up going back and watching it a few times just a uh, huge smile on my face very very happy to finally have been able to have seen in the heights I really want to see it. I, I've been a fan of In the Heights for a while. I've never seen the show, of course, but I, I love the vibe of it. My uh, my mother and her whole family is from New York, mm-hmm. so I've got a little bit of New York City nostalgia. Um, I, I definitely kind of relate to that whole world, being from Chicago, being from the kind of big city and stuff. I definitely, I don't know, I have a special spot in my heart is reserved for that kind of stuff. So even just watching the trailers for In the Heights, it definitely tapped into that. And uh just just the sights and the sounds of it. I've loved the music of In the Heights for a long time now. And um, yeah, I, I got to watch it. I got to watch it. <laughs> yes, you do. But outside of that, I obviously I have still been playing some video games. But in terms of that, it's mostly just been the usual suspects. You know, Animal Crossing, Monster Hunter, stuff like that. We did, however, uh, get access to a couple things. Our friends over at Flynn's Arcade were gracious enough to let us... Uh, check out another one of their new upcoming titles and hopefully we'll have a little bit more to say on that in the near future. However, we also got invited to something that was really cool. Yes. Huge thanks to the Lego group and Lightbrick studio for inviting us to a special digital preview event for Lego builders journey. Yeah. We actually got to rub elbows with a lot of other really cool game journalists and Lego hooked us up and we got to, really see what this game has to offer and we might actually have a reason to talk about that a little while later on in the show in our main segment so do stay tuned for that but you know it's been a it's been a pretty busy week obviously what's uh, with us celebrating our own birthday with us gearing up for this massive weekend in the video games industry in general but aside from all the stuff going on, did you wind up finding some time to to play anything yourself, bud? As a matter of fact, I did. I've been really busy lately working on stuff for the show. Again, guys, I, we can't stress this enough. You got to stay tuned for the main segment at the top of the show. You, you do not want to miss some of the stuff that we have to announce. It's going to be a big deal. Um, so between being hard at work on that, stuff going on in the personal life, it, it, here lately it's been kind of tough for me to find time to play games but i will say this past week 
I was quite a bit more free up for leisure activity, which was really nice. I want to give a huge shout out to our friends at Boss Fight Books uh, for sending me a few weeks ago now a copy of Final Fantasy VI, which is their latest book in their impressive repertoire um, written by Sebastian Deacon. And I read through this this past weekend and had such a fun time. This is a, I believe, 213-page book. And, I mean, it flew by. I read it in a single sitting. <laughs> I mean... Well, I know it's I know it's really focused on the music. That was one of the big things about the book, right? Yes, that is a huge thing with the book. This is specifically focusing in on the music. Uh, Sebastian Deacon is a composer himself, and uh, I just loved this book. And you guys all know, you know, well by this point how much I love video game music. And this book just had a brilliant way of not turning off people who are not big into music. Like, I think this would be very palatable for people who are not into it because this, this book doesn't just talk about Final Fantasy VI and the legendary score from Nobuo Uematsu. Uh, this book goes into video game music in general and really kind of runs the gamut and, and talks about music and video game music in a general broad sense without getting too heady or stuffy about it. I, I think it, it's really successful in saying what it wants to say. I, I had an absolute blast and it just became a page turner. And then when it finally does, when you start to get to the more specific Final Fantasy VI talk, um, I mean, nothing has made me more hungry to replay that game in recent years. I mean, I just, <laughs> after putting this book down, the first thing I wanted to do was play FF6. So, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm sitting here at this point, just like ready for Square to make that happen. Give me an HD 2D FF6. <laughs> <laughs> and I will be so thrilled. Just put that game on Switch simply. You don't even have to do anything to it. The Super Nintendo version, just put that out on Switch and I'm, I'm good with that. But um, I own that game actually. <laughs> uh Fun little anecdote. You sent me a copy of that game that I bought when you uh, worked at Game Exchange. Uh, you got a oh, Famicom Oh, I remember copy. that. Yeah, I got a Super Famicom yeah. version of Final Fantasy VI <laughs> in the store. That was so cool. I remember that. Yeah, it was the game in the manual. And so I've, I've got that in my collection still. So I did. I don't have a way to play that right now, unfortunately. But I did, uh, after reading this book, I did you know grab that copy and stare at it longingly. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I loved it. I loved it. Huge, huge thanks to to Boss Fight for sending that along. Our friend Gabe Durham, uh, who we've had on the show before, and, and we have kept in touch with uh, great, great folks over there. And uh, just wanted to extend thanks to him, extend thanks to uh, Sebastian Deacon for writing the book. It was a really fun read, and I highly recommend you guys give this book a look, um, especially again if you're into if you're into music, if you're not into music. Uh, he breaks down musical terms and how that all works in a video game context. It's it's great. It's a great read. Uh, beyond that, I mentioned that I picked up Metopia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. I gotta say, mm-hmm. I, man, here's the deal. Okay, <laughs> here's the deal. I gotta do what we here in the South call eating crow. All right, uh, because I'm really enjoying Metopia. I really am. I, it, I'm at this weird place with it because I still cannot wholeheartedly recommend the game at the $50 price tag. I really can't, but it's just fun. 
it's just a fun, like in the way that Tamadachi life hooked me, it just fits into my life really, really well. It's a game that if you set it up properly requires very little input from the player, but it has all these active moving parts based around the Mies and the relationships that the Mies build together. And it kind of becomes just this like funny moment generator, like just this, this thing that's just constantly churning out good moments between the Mies that you make. And beyond even that though, the game actually does some legitimately interesting things. And I can't believe I'm saying this, but the game does some legitimately interesting things in the scope of RPGs that really surprised me and really kind of kept me on my toes and made me think about the game in a way that I wasn't expecting to think about. I don't want to spoil anything, but it actually is a little bit deeper than I initially gave it credit for. So I've got to eat the crow on that. (laughs) Metopia is good. I like it. Still not $50, but better than you thought it would be, right? Definitely. That's that's kind of where I'm at with it. It's it's still really hard to recommend the game at a $50 price tag. I really do feel like Nintendo should have put that out at like $30. 30 I, I recommend that all day long. You know what I mean? It's it's a lot of fun grabbing all the... I mean, I've got like Garfield running around taking pictures of people. <laughs> I've got Carl from Jimmy Neutron as a fairy. I've got Dexter. I've got Batman, you know. And apparently I'm really incredibly jealous of Anastasia in your game. <laughs> that's that's a good example of what I'm talking about. So there's uh I had as my initial party, it was me, you, my wife Anastasia and Waluigi, and that was my initial party. Uh just a just a classic group of folks. Yeah. And standard RPG uh, uh standard RPG yeah, group. Exactly. You're the warrior, Anastasia of was course. like the rogue. I was actually a a really interesting class called the chef, uh, and Waluigi was another interesting class called the pop star. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, the game has got a few interesting classes, or jobs as they're called, uh, that are not standard RPG fare, like a chef and a pop star. There's a vampire job that you can unlock. There's a tank, a flower job that you can unlock, and they're all actually fairly interesting in the way they uh, implement into the game. But anyway, there was a moment that happened, and this is what I mean when I say it's a good moment generator, where I bought my wife, you know, my wife's character in the game a present. Weirdly enough, it was something, my wife collects insect taxidermy, and the present just happened to be a rhinoceros beetle specimen. And she loves rhinos. Exactly. And that's another thing too. She loves rhinos. That's her favorite animal. So that was a really weird coincidence. But so that happens and that's a funny, weird little moment of, of serendipity. But then the camera pans back to the window and you just see your me back there crying, saying something like, it's always Anastasia, never me. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny. I had to send you a picture of that. Uh, and that, that kind of stuff is just always happening in Metopia. <laughs> so... I don't know, man. I, I'm having a good time with it. And it's the kind of game where I can totally just like play that brainlessly while I'm editing or working on something. I just, I don't know. I'm really liking it. Okay. There. I said it. Metopia is good. There. I said it. Um, so that's, that's where I'm at with that. That's been a, a huge bulk of my gaming time this past week. Uh, did want to shout out game builders garage, which just came out. Yes, it did. Um, just came out yesterday. I've not picked it up yet. I got to be honest with you. Uh, there is a demo if you guys want to try it out. 
but the thing that's kind of turned me off to it, and I really hope they wind up adding this, is the game evidently does not have like a hub for you to check out other people's levels, which is the main thing that I wanted to play the game for. Uh, you can exchange codes with other people for levels, but there is no hub to check out like random levels. So that was a bit of a bummer. Um, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. I really hope they patch that in, but that's where I'm at with Game Builder's Garage right now. Yeah, because very similarly to Super Mario Maker 2, the sense of discovery, the sense of finding these other right. people's, these other creators' levels was uh, one of the biggest draws of the game for me. I've created, in the in the years that I've owned Super Mario Maker 2, I've only created a couple levels, and both of those were for the show. By the way, go back and check those out if you haven't already. But uh, yeah, I, I bought it mostly so that I could play other people's creations. And that hub area that Seth is talking about, it's just such a great nexus for discovery. If you're you know, in the mood for something, then there's a ton of different, you know, search options that you can look for. So I, I know a lot of people are going to be sharing a lot of creators and a lot of people that we're friends with. A lot of people that we follow on Facebook and Twitter are probably going to be sharing their level codes. But yeah, it, you know, not being able to just go out and organically discover yeah. other creators creations in that game. I do think that that's weird. And I agree with you. I, I do hope that they add it back in. I'll still probably wind up picking up game builders garage at some point, just because it does still really, it does still look like a really interesting, really expansive tool for budding game designers. But yes. yeah, I, I do hope that they add a more organically explorative way to look for other people's creations for the people that, bought the game for that regard of which I'm sure there are many. Yeah, exactly. So I just, I wanted to kind of issue that as a PSA. I, I want to pick it up too. Um, but we'll, we'll see what ends up happening. The, the explorative thing that you said there is a little bit of a good segue to another game that I have played very, very briefly. Um, I picked up Alba, a wildlife adventure, um, and played about an hour and a half of that, uh, this week. And, I got to say that game makes a strong first impression. I will have more to say on that at some point. I really think that we should do an indie showcase on the game at some point, like a full indie showcase. But I will tell you that just in the first hour and a half, that game has got one of the most charming, like introductory tutorials. I think I've ever seen in a video game. Like <laughs> if you can make it, you know, 10 minutes into Alba without having a huge goofy grin on your face, you, you do not have a beating heart. Like, it is so charming and cute, and it runs well on Switch. That was a big thing for me. I was really kind of worried about how the game was going to run on Switch because the environments that you explore in the game are fairly big. I mean, I will say, graphically, the game is not some powerhouse. They go for a very stylized... It reminds me of White Ocean Big Jacket. Okay, um, okay. Yeah, the kind of stylized pastel look. I will. It's it's a step above. I would say uh, White Ocean Big Jacket in terms of detail, but it's a game where you explore, you save animals, you take pictures of animals and add them to your little encyclopedia. It's got wonderful music. Um, it's just uh, it's just a really charming little game, and I, I I gotta be honest. Like I found myself just kind of like wandering around this little Mediterranean town, and I, I just I really dig it. I really dig it. There's a really cute little design touch they have in there 
rather than people will ask Alba, the player character, you a question. And rather than you just selecting yes or no, you actually move the stick to shake your head. Yes or no. <laughs> I thought that was a cute little touch. I, I don't know adorable. that I've ever seen that. Yeah, that's adorable. It's really good. It's really good. Highly recommend picking it up and, and checking that out. And, and you know, I, I do think at some point we got to do an indie showcase on that because it's a special little game. Uh, but the last couple things I'll shout out here is the a couple of events that I don't want you guys to miss out on in all the hustle and bustle of All Ends Birthday of E3 and all the stuff going on this weekend. Don't want you guys to miss out on Zeldathon Side Quest, which just started yesterday and is going on until the 17th uh, from our friends over at Zeldathon, our friend Super MC Gamer, who we've had on the show. Um, a great charity event that uh, that they're throwing on. This one is uh, benefiting Direct Relief. And I uh, just want you guys to be aware of that. Tune into their streams. Donate if you can. And um, they, they always put on great events for Zeldathon. So this will be no different. A six-day charity marathon going from June 11th to the 17th. Um, so huge ups to those people over there. Uh, also wanted to shout out wholesome direct 2021 and wholesome direct. If you guys are not aware is a kind of indie game collaborative effort to showcase these kind of games like Alba, these kind of charming wholesome titles, uh, in the indie game space that's happening today. Uh, probably has already happened by the time you're listening to it, uh, to this episode. It's uh, at noon central, 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, uh, but it, it's already happened. Go back and look at it. Um, it's it's basically showcasing 70-plus wholesome indie games, developer interviews, exclusive footage, and announcements. I always love when they throw these wholesome games directs, and I just I wanted to make sure you guys don't miss out on that and all the hustle and bustle because, um, I don't know, we, we love these charming little indie games, and we, we always want to spotlight them whenever we can. Um, so definitely give them some love over there. But... It's been a packed week. Yeah. We had a lot to talk about. Yeah. What do you say we get into the news? Yeah. Hey, listen. Yeah, Seth just said it's been a packed week and he is absolutely right. It really feels like the entire video games industry is coming out to help us celebrate our birthday. Thank you all <laughs> so much across the industry for this massive show of love and support. We promise we will not disappoint but with all of the announcements going on, with all of the events and the showcases going on, we have so, so much to talk about. Now, uh, E3 is going on right now, like as this episode is going live. As a matter of fact, if you started this episode the moment it went live, you might also be concurrently watching Ubisoft Forward at E3. <laughs> right. So, right. Uh, a lot of stuff. Well, we cannot wait to check out all of the conferences, all the E3 conferences going on this week. And we will have a full breakdown, full coverage on everything, on all the fallout of E3 2021 once the dust settles. But yes, and we still have quite a few things to talk about. There were several very interesting showcases from this past week. We had a, a little handheld play date. That uh, got shown off that we might have some more yep. to talk about in the near future on that. However, it looks like Jeff Keeley has decided to throw his hat in with the Summer Games conferences with Summer Game Fest, which had its kickoff show this past Thursday. And 
you know, it started off really cool. Seth and I were super hyped for Summer Game Fest kickoff. And Jeff Keighley was like, you know, whether you play the Nintendo Switch or iOS or Xbox or PlayStation, you're going to find a ton of stuff to love in this conference. And he specifically mentioned the Nintendo Switch first, which in my mind made me think there's got to be some really cool big game they're going to announce that made Jeff think of the Nintendo Switch to mention that first. So I, you know, Seth and I were really expecting some relatively big announcements, some relatively big news coming out of the Summer Game Fest kickoff. But those never really came, unfortunately. Yeah. Here, here's what I'll say. Uh, so, and you know this better than anybody, you come from the world of broadcast journalism. So, mm-hmm. you know, these, these things like this, these are scripted events. He, you know, he said Nintendo Switch, that was written down. Somebody told him to say that, right? So, that, uh, that set a precedent in our minds that there were going to be at least some noteworthy Nintendo Switch game representation here. Um, and this was like, it was supposed to be a 90 minute show wound up being more like a, like two and a half, uh, or sorry, wound up being more like a hour 45 or so. Yeah. It went about 15 minutes long. Yeah. And, and we got some Nintendo switch stuff, but I got to, most of it is stuff that was either, you know, third party stuff that is coming to other consoles or just like crossover things with games that happen to be available on switch. Exactly. A lot of the biggest Nintendo Switch related news we got out of the Summer Game Fest kickoff show was we had Inner Sloth who announced a ton of stuff coming to Among Us in the near future, a full roadmap worth of stuff. They had new tasks, a new map, a new mode, a bunch of new cosmetics. And even in addition to that, Inner Sloth teased more stuff coming out this weekend. But Rocket League, Smite, Paladins, They all had content announcements at Summer Game Fest kickoff. And of course, those are all on the Nintendo Switch. So that technically counts as Switch news. But the first time, it took about 45 minutes for us to see our first Nintendo Switch logo in this (laughs) hour and a half long presentation, supposed to be hour and a half long presentation. And the first time we saw a Nintendo Switch logo, what was the game, Seth? Two Point Campus. Two Point the, Campus. The the Sims like simulation game kind of. Um, we we've talked about Two Point Hospital. I guess this is a Sega game, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. We uh, recently had occasion to talk about Two Points Hospital because at the Sonic Central, the Sonic the Hedgehog 30th anniversary stream, a short while back, Sonic announced a crossover with Two Points Hospital and a bunch of Sonic themed items coming to that game. And we, even when we covered this a while back, we specifically spoke about how obscure this title was. And, you know, they're doing a follow-up to that. Apparently, this is the third or fourth in the Two Points series from Sega. But, yeah, just kind of like The Sims and other simulation games like this, that's what we have going on here. Unfortunately, I mean, I'm sure there are fans of the simulation genre. I'm sure there's going to be people who are going to download this and enjoy it. But admittedly, to have that be the first time that we see the Nintendo Switch logo in a conference that gave us a ton of really heavy-hitting games for other consoles, it did feel really deflating. Yeah, it, 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 yeah, deflating is the right word. 
when we we were just like texting crying gifts back and forth uh, <laughs> as this was happening. And we, true story. We, I mean, we were live tweeting the scraps that we got. You know, um, I will say one of the more exciting announcements, I guess, uh, relevant to Nintendo Switch was that that game company's game, Sky Children yeah. of the Light, uh, which we already knew was going to be coming to Switch, now has a release date of June 29th. And they did announce a collaborative, they said season, which was weird. Uh, with the little prince starting in July, so that's interesting. I mean, that was cool. I'm I'm excited for it. Obviously, that game company has. For those yeah. who don't know, the the developer of that game company is responsible for like some game of the year games. They're the ones behind the Journey. Journey. They're the ones behind yeah. Flower and Flow. Obviously, Journey is kind of their big magnum opus right now, but still. The pedigree behind that, I haven't had a chance to play Sky, but I am very happy that that game company is breaking onto the Nintendo Switch. That was probably the biggest Nintendo-centric announcement of the kickoff show, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I think I agree. In in Sky, um, from what I understand, at least on mobile, is actually a free-to-play game. So... That might be something we'll have to check out when that drops on the 29th. Um, but yeah, other than that, what what was what felt like they felt like was the biggest Nintendo Switch announcement was a new story trailer for Monster Hunter Stories 2. You know, just in case you haven't seen enough of that game already. <laughs> uh, we got a new trailer for that. And uh, was that the 21st, the 22nd <laughs> trailer that we've seen for Monster Hunter Stories 2? I really feel like this is this game is being overmarketed. Like, I really do feel that way. I'm getting so sick of seeing that game because I, I think the game looks great and I'm probably going to pick it up and play it. I'm, I'm looking forward to the game, but Capcom is just relentlessly shoving this game in our face, man. Like they really are. Well, they need it to be successful. It's jumping from the Nintendo 3DS to the Nintendo Switch. I don't know what the sales numbers look like for Metopia right now, but... Uh, I mean, obviously the Monster Hunter, the core Monster Hunter games don't have problems selling. That is evidenced pretty strongly by Monster Hunter World being Capcom's best ever selling game full stop. And the fact that Monster Hunter Rise has shifted, I I mean, how many copies by now? It shifted like 4 million in its first weekend alone. So the core Monster Hunter franchise does not have problems selling games. But I do wonder how many copies they sold of the first Monster Hunter stories. And if that's the reason that Capcom is saying, all right, we need to make this successful as well. We need to sell at least two or three million of these as well. Yeah, I guess so. I just I it's too much. It's too much, guys. (laughs) Um, We did see this was actually pretty nice because we saw this game Endless Dungeon. Yeah, I I believe we saw this at a Game Awards or something like that. Yeah, I think it was the Game Awards also from Sega. We've already talked about Two Points Hospital and Two Points Campus. Endless Dungeon is also coming from Sega, but this one looks legitimately really cool. This was one of the standout games, I think, from the Game Awards last December. It looks like a a dungeon crawling, almost sci-fi Diablo like roguelike. So yeah, I'm, I'm interested. We didn't get much in the way of like release date info and and stuff like that. We did get some gameplay footage. So I'm I'm excited for it to come to the Nintendo Switch. Yeah, but that's that's the big news is that that is coming to the Nintendo Switch. 
Um, so that, that'll be cool to, to check out whenever that does come out. And then really the last piece of Nintendo Switch relevant news that happened during Summer Game Fest was a new Evil Dead trailer. Of course, that game is heading to Switch. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen Switch footage of the game. We don't know how it's going to look or run on the on Switch, but uh, we did get a new trailer for that. The game continues to look cool and funny, and I don't know. I'm interested. Yeah, they showed off a lot of characters from the entire Evil Dead franchise. Of course, Ash was there. I, I think Kelly is her name yeah. from Ash versus the Evil Dead, that Showtime series. And then, of course, we had the reveal of the evil, dark, Army of Darkness, Lord King. I don't know exactly what the character's name is, but it was the character that started off as a clone of Ash right, yeah. and turned into some evil, undead skeleton warrior. He's apparently going to be a playable character in the new Evil Dead game. I mean... It looks really cool. It's definitely going to be on the more mature side of offerings for the Nintendo Switch. This will not be a kids game, but if you're no. a fan of Evil Dead, it looks like they're it looks like they're doing right by the fan base. Now, luckily though, like I said, we we may have been fed scraps from the dinner table of Summer Game Fest, but luckily, what immediately happened after, like literally as soon as Summer Game Fest ended, Day of the Devs began. Um. So that was a really nice surprise. I, I was not expecting that like immediate turnover. Day of the Devs is an event that Double Fine runs, normally an in-person event, but obviously they've not been able to do that these past couple of years. Uh, so Day of the Devs this year was an all-digital event, which essentially ended up feeling like an indie game showcase. For all intents and purposes, it was a Nintendo Indie World showcase that just dealt with the entire spectrum of consoles. Yeah, and, and had an F-bomb in there, so yeah, that, yeah, there was that. That was so <laughs> funny. That was so funny. That's just so random. The, the rest, Wasn't expecting that. Yeah, the rest of the conference, the rest of the show was incredibly PG-rated, but they just decided to throw an F-bomb in there right in the middle of the proceedings. It was just like, yeah, oh, not? that happened. Okay, cool. <laughs> pretty effing cool even uh but uh, yeah so that happened but uh in terms of switch relevant news we got quite a bit more here than we did in summer game fest and you know they didn't they didn't even mention it to boot so uh the first thing that was shown was axiom verge 2 yes and i think a lot of people us included when we saw that were kind of hoping for maybe a new release date the game did just get a delay Um, So I was kind of hoping for a new release date here. We did not end up getting that, but we did get a cool new trailer narrated by developer Tom Happ. Um, One of the coolest tidbits, I think, from this trailer was Tom Happ revealed that the game can actually be completed without fighting any of the bosses. I think for people who are interested in doing challenge runs, you know, like our friend Game Champ, uh, I think that Axiom Verge might lend itself well to several different play styles. Maybe you could do a pacifist run like you're playing Undertale or something. Who knows? But they specifically said that he spoke to a lot of people who wound up getting stuck on a boss and that wound up being the end of their experience with the first Axiom Verge. So they specifically wanted to make sure that was no longer a roadblock for players who maybe weren't as you know seasoned, maybe weren't as adept at harder games like this. So they said that All the bosses in the game with, I would maybe hope the exception of the last boss, but they said that all (laughs) the bosses in the game, you can just pass right on by. And maybe there's, maybe there's a way to nicely take out the final boss of the game. I don't know. We'll have to (laughs) see again, no release date still. We're, we're hoping to hear more about that game very, very soon. Um, But it was, it was cool to see it. It was cool to open the event with that. 
Um, Garden Story, yeah. which is a game I've been looking forward to. This is kind of a... The, the, so I played this game. My wife and I both played this game at PAX South 2019, and the game actually looked quite a bit different back then. But this is kind of a, you know, speaking of wholesome games, this is kind of a wholesome, cutesy game where you play as a grape named Concord. <laughs> and I see what you did there. That's that's the grape's name in the game. That's the main character's name is Concord. And you take care of it's. It's got like some town building Animal Crossing-esque stuff. It's got some Stardew Valley in there, but it's also got a fairly robust dungeon crawling and combat system, not dissimilar to Zelda. So it's got a lot of different ingredients mixed together in this really interesting little game. No hard release date, but it was confirmed to be coming this summer. That game is actually a Switch console launch exclusive. So that was cool to see. I'm excited for it. When it comes to the the independent development spectrum. The Day of the Devs was such a great showcase for this as yeah. well. But in terms of the independent development spectrum, there are so, so many interesting ideas out there and so many very interesting new art directions that are emerging from the indie scene. It's just so incredibly cool to see what's going on on the indie scene. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Games like Elden Ring, which was very much the marquee game the marquee announcement oh, yeah. of summer game fest don't get me wrong games like that it, elden ring looks amazing oh, it looks, it, sick. It looks yeah. like it's going to be a game of the year contender but we still kind of know what we're getting with FromSoft. we know in regards to the types of worlds the types of mechanics it's going to be a great game yes but I still just am so enamored with the indie scene and all of the incredibly unique and interesting and potentially industry shifting ideas that are, it feels yes. like every other day there's something that absolutely needs to be seen on the indie scene. And day of the devs was just such a great showcase for that. Even something like garden story, the way it mashes up genres like this. And in addition to Garden Story, maybe one of the most uh, interesting games that I've seen in a long time, uh, especially from a gameplay perspective, is probably this game called A Musical Story. Oh, it looks so good. I, I, I got to be honest with you. I was really nervous when that when that trailer <laughs> started and we started to see some of the subject matter in the game. Yeah, I was getting real nervous that that was not going to come to switch, but it is. It is. It is coming to Switch this summer, and, and the game looks amazing. Yeah, it looks really, really cool. A very minimalist, animated kind of art direction, and I don't know exactly how rhythm based the gameplay is going to uh, the gameplay is going to be, but it is very musically based. Not exactly sure how it's going to work, but there's essentially a, a tune that's played on this circle. And you've got the chords on the, you definitely should check out the trailer, but everything we saw from a musical story just looks incredibly unique, incredibly interesting. And I can't speak for Seth, but I believe he agrees with me. It's probably going to be a day one download for both of us. Oh yeah, definitely. I, uh, the, the, it looks like it's kind of got the seventies vibe. We were playing as a, uh, the main character anyway, is a musician that looks to be hospitalized with some sort of head trauma. And yeah, uh, when you're doing the rhythm, I, I assumedly rhythm-based gameplay, you're unlocking memories of this character's life as a traveling musician. And it looks, it just looks awesome. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm all over this. Um, but 
as cool as that was, we got a game called Vocabulantis. Oh, dude. Which was maybe even more striking visually. Yeah, we're talking full-on claymation. You've heard us recently bring up Takeshi and Hiroshi again when we were talking about our top five brothers in video games. Also, go back and check out the indie showcase we did on Takeshi and Hiroshi. But the the entire big visual direction that they decided to go with that was straight-up claymation, an art form that I thought had basically died at death with you know, outside of something like Leica doing Coraline and Cuba and the two strings, because right. there's really not anybody doing claymation, but it's so laborious. It is. Yeah. It's so incredibly tedious and time consuming. It is an incredibly striking visual style. And the developer behind Vocabulantis, Kong Orange, specifically stated that they were inspired by games like the Neverhood old claymation yes. style games and that's what this is going to be this is going to be a new adventure game inspired by neverhood done completely in claymation they even showed us some behind the scenes footage of the models they created and the process that they're going through to animate all this stuff and oh my god another another day one download that is a that's going to be a must play yeah, because they're using actual models yeah. for the game. Like we saw the developer walked us through the process of like how the animation rig worked for the models and, and the different lighting and the different pictures they have to take to make lighting work in the game. It was really cool. Seems like a really intensive game to make, but I, yeah, I, I am all eyes on Vocabulantis. There's no even semblance of a release date. But uh, we do know, thanks to you doing some digging on the Indiegogo page, yes. that the Switch is an expected platform for release. Yes, it is expected to come to the Nintendo Switch. And as a matter of fact, if you want to support the game, the Indiegogo page is live. And we've always been incredibly vocal about supporting indie developers, indie games, especially developers who clearly have a vision and are clearly willing to put the work in. And the people over at Kong Orange, the people behind Vocabulantis have already proven that they are willing to put the work in for this game so if you can if you're interested in the game head to their indiegogo page and support them however you can yeah and i i want to touch on this game too uh the new game by variable state the uh the virginia developers which is a, a game that i really liked last stop which was revealed during an indie world showcase the last indie world showcase we got mm -hmm. uh has a release date now yay second next month yay, release date yeah, next month on the 22nd. So that'll be interesting. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to checking that out. I loved Virginia. This looks to be another narrative adventure from them. And um, yeah, there, there's not a whole lot to say about it, but uh, that was kind of an interesting thing here because that game's being published by Annapurna Interactive. And we got news that Annapurna's holding their own event. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Annapurna's having their own event in July, the end of July, July 29th. Um, the Annapurna Game Showcase or Interactive Showcase. And they ended Day of the Devs with this like weird Oxenfree 2 yeah. like ARG thing. Like a musical performance with a loop of Oxenfree 2. Just that same shot we saw in the initial trailer. Um, 
that was weird and ended up like there were, there were numbers and letters flashing on the screen and ended up leading to a mysterious I am eight bit link. Yeah. I was wondering about that. I, I knew there was some hidden message in there. I just wasn't smart enough to figure it out. I saw the numbers and I saw the letters pop up and I was just like, there's something there, but I'm not even going to try. I figured it's going to be you on knew the somebody internet. would do it. Yeah. <laughs> I knew somebody was going to have it up online, but sure enough. Yeah. It goes to an, I am eight bit link. Go figure considering that I am eight bit actually worked directly with double fine to produce day of the devs. So that doesn't surprise me at all, but oxen free. Yes. Has already been confirmed for a Nintendo switch release. Also a game we are very much looking forward to day of the devs. Very clearly the more exciting conference from this past Thursday from a Nintendo standpoint. Sure, there are a lot of Among Us fans, a lot of a lot of Rocket League fans, a lot of Smite fans, and a lot of Paladin fans who are excited for a lot of the new content. But for us, Day of the Devs shone quite a bit brighter. And there were even quite a few games. We haven't even had time to talk about the games that we would love to see come to the Nintendo Switch from Day of the Devs that aren't currently slated for a Nintendo release. Death's Door looks amazing. Yes. Please come to the Nintendo Switch. My word. But that wasn't the only one. There's also several other games. If you're a fan of indie games, just go back and watch the Day of the Devs presentation. Just watch the entire thing because with the exception of some weird soccer game, some weird staticky looking soccer game, just about every game showed off at Day of the Devs looks legitimately interesting. Yeah, I mean it really does. I, uh, I I thought it was great. It was so it was it was like all killer no filler for the most part. I I really really liked it. Um, so I I gotta say though, uh, moving away from those events, we're gonna have plenty more events to cover next week on the show. Um, we've got a little bit of sad news as Yuji Naka, the you know legendary. Uh, you know, known for his original programming for Sonic the Hedgehog. He mm-hmm. headed up the Nights into Dreams games, worked on Fantasy Star, very, very legendary uh, figure in the games industry, has confirmed that he is leaving Square Enix um, after the huge mess that was Balan Wonderworld. Um, so, and he's actually saying that he is considering full stop retirement from video games altogether uh, now that he's 55. That's that makes me sad, man. I mean, he's a legendary figure in the industry and the game for whatever ended up happening with that game. I mean, we don't know. We've certainly said our piece on Balan Wonderworld. The game is is a mess. The yeah. game wasn't good. Yeah, it's you know, the game is famously bad. Um, you know, whatever ended up happening behind the scenes, he actually said in his announcement tweet that I can't talk about the reason now, but I hope I can talk about it when the time comes. That's a rough translation of the uh, of the Japanese there, um, but I mean, it's sad. It's sad, man. I I hope he doesn't go out on the on the Balan Wonderworld note. I mean, that's a heck of a sword to fall on, because yeah. yeah, the game yes is an absolute mess, and as the game's director, that will ultimately fall on him. Yeah. I, and this is a point you made to me, Seth. Yes, it, it takes more than one person to make a game, but ultimately everything, the game released will fall on him, despite the fact there was more than likely quite a bit of corporate interference in the project. But regardless of how much the people above Yuji Naka wound up affecting the gameplay because of his position, it still ultimately 
probably fell on him. It's just probably one of those things where your boss can tell you exactly how to do something and you can tell them all day long that that's not going to work. And then when you wind up doing it exactly the way they want to, and it doesn't wind up working, you're the one who gets in trouble for it. Yeah, that's that's what sucks, man, because the, the buck does stop with him as the game's director. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he says here in his statement, he, he can't talk about the reason, which does kind of imply some drama behind the scenes. Um, but it's, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. I mean, nobody wanted to like Balan Wonderworld more than you and I, I know, man, I really wanted that to be a good game. And I'm, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt that it did all come down to corporate interference that it did all come to the decisions of people above his head because he's been in the industry long enough. I'd like to think that he was making the decisions that he legitimately felt were in the best interest of the game. Yeah. The game seems like it was just rushed. Didn't have enough time in the oven. I I assume square didn't want to dump enough money into what is admittedly a fairly niche game. So I don't know. Uh, regardless, regardless of whatever happened behind the scenes, maybe one day we'll know the full story behind that. But regardless, Yuji Naka has left Square Enix uh, following this mess and and is considering full stop retirement. So we'll, we'll definitely see. We wish him all the best, of course. I have a lot of love for him. We hope he lands on his feet and hopefully he doesn't retire. Hopefully he finds a home somewhere else and continues to work in games because, hey, he may be 55, but that's still pretty young, man. See, that's the wonderful thing about our industry. That is the amazing thing about our industry is when it comes to something like being a pro athlete, yes, your body is going to eventually give out because it's your body that you need for that job. But right. when it comes to game being a game director, you need your mind, you need your creativity. And that, thankfully, for most people, sticks around quite a bit longer. So hopefully he's got several decades worth of leadership and creativity left in him. And all you need to do is find that one right project. You find the right people and you're right back in it. It's I could very easily see him in a few years coming out of retirement for a big blockbuster project. Yeah. I mean, look at people. I mean, we were talking about uh, Shigeru Miyamoto. The man's almost 70. Yeah. You know, Yu Suzuki is a great example of this. Uh, the director behind the Shenmue games who kind of came out of nowhere with Shenmue three, you know, and you can say whatever you want about that game, but that man, he's 63 years old. So I, I, I think that there is still a chance for, for, uh, for him. So all the best to him, of course, Indeed. but uh, kind of playing off of that, playing off the idea of things potentially coming back. Um, We've got a pretty exciting announcement of a new game called Monarch, which is being helmed by some uh, JRPG veterans, ex-Persona and Shin Megami Tensei developers, that was announced and had a release date of October 14th in Japan. So the game's like pretty much done and is coming out soon. They're calling it a new school JRPG. It's got old school sensibilities through a modern design lens. Uh, Coming in Japan... October 14th for the Nintendo Switch and PS4 and PS5. And it's actually going to be localized by NIS America for Western release in 2022. This is one to keep an eye on. Yeah, I've you, we've certainly been talking a lot about Nipponichi Software in the past few months. Obviously, I've gushed a lot about R-Type Final 2. We've talked about World's End Club and several other games. So, I mean, Seth and I are both huge fans of JRPGs, and we're always looking for new, fresh entries into 
the genre. So we'll see what uh, we'll see what comes of this. Looks cool. Looks cool. And there's screenshots and, and box art and stuff out there. You guys can check out if you're interested. Uh, looks really, really interesting. Very much in line with the pedigree that these developers have. So if you are a Persona or an SMT fan, I think you're going to want to keep an eye on Monarch. But uh, mm-hmm. man, in in the latest and what feels like an ongoing saga on this show, <laughs> I feel like we have talked about this game literally four or five times over the course of this show's first year. Uh, Ubisoft did announce this week that the Prince of Persia Sands of Time remake is being delayed to 2022 and will not be at today's Ubisoft forward. So there's the latest on that. And this is actually something that we specifically called for because yeah, uh, when they, when they first started showing off the, the remaster of the Prince of Persia Sands of Time, it just did not impress. I mean, obviously the Prince of Persia Sands of Time was a GameCube era game but i I mean if you're going to remaster it for current gen it needed to look better than it did and it was slated to release in like a month or so following its final trailer but there was so much backlash and again this is something that you and i called for they really needed to go back to the drawing board with the visuals and it looks like they really are going back to the drawing board if it's not props uh, to them, by the way, yeah, props absolutely. to them for doing that. Absolutely. That's not an easy decision. It's costing them a lot of money. I'm sure. I just hope that once it eventually does come out, that all the proper decisions, all the right steps were taken to really bring this classic to a new generation, because it is a classic. It was heralded as one of the best games of all time. It completely revolutionized uh, the entire genre of platformers and action adventure games. And it still continues. The A lot of the mechanics are still continuing to influence game design and game development today. Obviously, the Uncharted Legacy, uh, Tomb Raider games, uh, so many, basically anything with a ledge grab or ledge running or, you know, so many different new age platforming mechanics started in Prince of Persia Sands of Time. So, uh, yeah. Be careful with it. Yeah. And I mean, talking about Indie Game, the movie, if you watch that movie, they actually, Jonathan Blow specifically references Sands of Time as one of the inspirations for what would become Braid. So a a hugely influential game. Uh, so yeah, definitely treat it with love, treat it with care. And uh, we will look forward to seeing more of that next year. But speaking of Ubisoft, Eric. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you may need to get that bingo card stamp ready, my friend, uh, because if some uh, some prolific leaks are to be believed, and we don't, you know, th- this was a weird one for us because, of course, by the time you're listening to this, you probably already know if this was true or not. Uh, but we had to mention it: a leaker named Practical Brush Twelve, Brushy, as he's known in the uh, in the rumors and leaks community. Uh, he has got an immaculate track record. Um, he, he has gotten to the point where his word is essentially gospel and brushy in the community has dropped a bunch of titles. I'm not going to go through all of them. I don't want to like overtly spoil things for you. We don't know again, take with a huge grain of salt as with any leak, nothing's been confirmed at the time of this recording, but brushy says that during Ubisoft forward, that is happening again, either right now or has already happened by the time you're listening to this. A new Mario plus rabbits game called sparks of hope is going to be announced. So maybe hashtag Eric was right. I am 
holding my breath a little bit because when it comes to E3 leaks, there's a certain Switch Pro leak. Yes. Uh, that was proven false several times. We had multiple outlets, multiple influencers all telling People us. like Bloomberg. Yeah. Telling us that Nintendo was going to announce the Nintendo Switch Pro prior to E3. Not at E3, but actually prior to E3. So we've already got some very prolific outlets with pretty big egg on their face right now in terms of E3 leaks. So I am holding my breath a little bit on this. I would absolutely love for it to be true. And again, by the time you're listening to this, we will probably know. But uh, yeah, if, if this turns out to be true then I will take credit for willing it into existence. You are all welcome. <laughs> we we will take any opportunity to sing Mario plus Rabbit's praise here on the show. We we love it. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, we may indeed talk about it a little bit more later on. Uh, but that was not the only leak that happened this past week. I'm actually going to break a little bit of a story here, Eric. Oh, God. A little bit of, little bit of hard-hitting journalism of my own um, here. <laughs> <laughs> because this kind of made the rounds for a few people. I do want to give proper credit. The first person to report on this was Nintendo Prime uh, on YouTube. And I feel like a lot of people are not giving him credit for this, but he caught wind of these purported Zelda posters that uh, assumedly had arrived at GameStops. And this picture started circulating around the internet. Uh, I will say, I'm not going to name any names, but you guys all know I have a history with GameStop. I worked there for almost eight years. I have a lot of friends uh, that still work for the company, and I was able to independently confirm with their permission that those posters are real. Uh, The Zelda poster that you've seen floating around on the internet is real. They have them. They are street dated for the 15th. There are no hard details yet because GameStop is playing it very close to the vest, even with their store leaders. But it is presumed that these will be tied to some sort of pre-order or purchase incentive for Zelda stuff being announced at E3. Um, If you take a look at this poster, it's really weird and interesting because there's no overt Zelda 35 branding on it. In fact, it looks like a lot of reused assets from the 25th anniversary and the 30th anniversary artwork. But these posters are real. GameStop has them. And they are preparing for a pretty substantial amount of foot traffic. In fact, larger stores are being instructed to double up on their staff on Tuesday, the 15th. So GameStop has reason to believe that Nintendo's E3 is going to have some really significant things and some really significant Zelda things, which we all sort of expected anyway. But this seems to be reason to be excited. And it's a cool poster. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this was something that I specifically brought up. I really figured that we would get the the Zelda 35th anniversary extravaganza here at E3. We'd wind up getting the Metroid 35th extravaganza a little bit later on at Gamescom. But I basically expected us to hear all the the Zelda 35th goings on uh, this weekend. And I don't know. I've got a lot of stuff on that bingo card. We'll see what happens. We'll see how many different new Zelda games we have to play on our Nintendo Switch by the end of the year. Yeah, we'll see. I've got something on that bingo card, too, that I'm I'm still holding with it. I still think that 
we're going to get some Zelda news here, some exciting Zelda news here, but I still think we're going to get a dedicated Zelda direct at some point. I, I don't know. We'll see. That's, that's one of my marks on the bingo card. Maybe I'll miss it. I don't know. But I still feel like Zelda is a big enough deal to get its own, uh, its own direct later on this year, but we will see. E3 is not far away, folks. Nintendo's presentation on Tuesday seems to have GameStop very excited at the very least. And that poster is real and you'll be able to pick <laughs> it up uh, that day. So that's not to say, though, that there is not much more going on for E3. Just as a quick PSA to close us out. Uh, Eric, Nintendo is not content. They want more of our money. They want all of our money, Seth. All of it. Every last red cent. And they're going to try for that here on the 15th. They have apparently a massive blowout sale scheduled on the Nintendo eShop following E3 weekend, starting on the 15th. They're talking about hundreds of titles, huge percentages off. Uh, You and I actually own the vast majority of first-party Nintendo titles, which is what I assume a lot of this is going to be. But if there are a few Nintendo titles you are missing, more than likely you are going to be able to save some money in the coming days so definitely check that out we can't guarantee we can't confirm which titles are going to be part of this sale but given nintendo's track record with e3 sales it's probably going to be a large portion of their first party offerings yeah i think so and they and i mean look could be some third party stuff going on sale we're already starting to see speaking of ubisoft ubisoft's already got an e3 sale rolling right now so i mean there's there's quite a bit of money to be saved and money to be spent, <laughs> uh, you know, following E3. So definitely keep an eye out on that. We wanted to make sure you guys knew about that huge eShop sale that Nintendo is advertising. But what about you guys? What are all of your thoughts on the goings on in the video game world? What did you think about Summer Games Fest? What did you think about E3? Three, since it's going on right now, reach out to us on Facebook at All In Podcast. Reach out to us on Twitter at All In Podcast and let us know all of your Nintendo opinions going into the biggest game conference of the year. Thank you also, E3, once again, for holding it on our birthday. That was a great show of solidarity. (laughs) And don't forget, guys, don't forget, we're having like a little mini E3 of our own. Plenty of things (laughs) to announce at the top of the show. Definitely stay tuned. Yes, and yet another reason to like and subscribe to All In, a Nintendo podcast, wherever you wind up streaming your podcasts from, whether it be iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or SoundCloud. Like we said at the top of the show, thank you all so, so much for hanging out with us this past year, making us part of your weekly rotation. Namaste. But, uh, I mean, E3, man, it's big. It's obviously big. It's the biggest game conference of the year, and Nintendo has historically had some amazing moments at the games conference. As a matter of fact, they've had so many amazing moments that it made our top five list a little difficult to nail down. However, for the first anniversary of All In, we are bringing you our top five Nintendo E3 moments ever. So Nintendo has got a long and storied history with E3. Mm -hmm. Even long before we started having the E3-focused Nintendo Directs, of course, and there have been some great moments Uh, so many, it was honestly hard to pare down this list to just five, but I think we managed to do it, Eric. That's right. We are going to be watching with bated breath all weekend to see all the huge reveals, all the amazing moments and all of the iconic 
games that are going to wind up coming out of this year's E3, but it certainly got us thinking about all of Nintendo's iconic E3 moments from years past. And just like Seth said, it was very hard to pare this list down to just five. There were some entries that uh, even at the 11th hour were wind up vying for control, vying for placement in the list proper. We actually had to put a couple into the Thunderdome to have them duke it out to see who was going to make the actual top five. However, once the dust has settled, we finally got our list. And starting it off at number five, there are some moments that are rendered even more iconic because of their legacy. And this is certainly one of those instances. Our number five is the Super Smash Brothers Melee reveal from 2001. Man, I actually had to go back and watch this in preparation for, for doing this top five. And my goodness, that is still... we Smash Brothers, as a series, just embodies hype, I feel like. Yeah. But that trailer for the Super Smash Brothers Melee reveal is right up there with some of the most hype Smash Brothers trailers, even today. Yeah, Super Smash Brothers originally came out on the Nintendo 64 in 1999. And just a couple years later, once the shiny new purple lunchbox had graced our store (laughs) shelves, Nintendo decided to drop the sequel to their iconic party brawler. And it was kind of a everyone is here moment. Shout out to that moment from E3 a couple yeah. of years ago for Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. Everybody remembers how hype it was to see everybody is here to see that all the past characters were returning. The two minute trailer, I don't know how in the world they got so much done in two minutes, but with just a two minute trailer at E3 2001, they gave us a very good look at the next entry in the Smash Brothers franchise. It it felt like every character in the game was featured. Not only were all of the returning characters, with the exception of Luigi, not only were all of the returning characters uh, featured and shown off all the stuff that they could do, but they showed off a ton of new characters like the Ice Climbers, like Sheik, like Bowser, like Peach, all of which had their time to shine in these two minutes and we got to see it was just this rapid fire of all the stages and all of these mechanics and everything that was going on it was just this whirlwind of new information and new stuff about super smash brothers melee and it was very clear from this trailer that super smash brothers was not going to be just another side franchise for nintendo After the success of the original Super Smash Brothers on the Nintendo 64 and with this trailer at E3, this was the moment that I think a lot of people realized, okay, this series is going to be big for a long time. Yeah, I mean, that that really gave Smash Brothers the weight that it needed. Just like you said, it's no longer a side series. It is a triple-A you know, mainstay gem in the crown of Nintendo. By the way, shout out to that guy who was super stoked about ice climbers in the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> who was just like, ice climbers? <laughs> like, shout out to that guy. <laughs> yeah, especially after Ness had shown up in the original Smash Brothers and with the reveal of the ice climbers in Super Smash Brothers Melee, uh, you could argue that this type of feeling really happened with Snake. But I would argue Mm. that 
once the ice climbers showed up in Super Smash Brothers Melee, that was really kind of the the door that Snake and Sonic wound up walking through sure, in Super yeah. Smash Brothers Brawl. But ice climbers kind of they they were the ones that unlocked that door. I feel because when they showed up, there very much was a sense of like, oh well, okay, I guess anybody can just show up in this game now. Everything's on the table now. Ice yeah. climbers are in. Yeah, totally. And of course, Super Smash Brothers Melee has gone on to become one of the most iconic Nintendo releases of all time, with the exception, I believe, of Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo. Super Smash Brothers Melee has the most storied history, has the longest tenure at Evo. It was finally taken off the Evo main stage just a few years ago after, again, coming out in 2001. So. I just one heck of a legacy. There are still people who clamor for a melee mode in Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. The game is just that iconic. And the trailer is certainly a testament to that. Yeah, just an iconic reveal. Uh, but going into our number four, you know, it, it started in 2013 when Nintendo moved to the digital direct format for E3, they had been doing Nintendo directs for a little while at that point, but moving to an all digital direct format for E3 began in 2013. And when we got to 2015, this is when Nintendo was kind of in full swing and and really getting into the personality that Nintendo had at this point. And we really saw this shine through with the Star Fox puppet show that was going on during Nintendo's E3 2015 press conference. I mean, this thing opens up. This was a nearly 50-minute direct for that E3, and it opened up with Mr. Iwata, you know, Reggie fils and Mr. Miyamoto represented as Star Fox characters, and it was magical. <laughs> the holy trinity of Nintendo. It was great, man. And worth noting, too, this, sadly, was Mr. Iwata's final E3 appearance. Yeah, he would sadly pass away just a month or two later, unfortunately. And we, of course, here on the show have paid tribute to Iwata-san numerous times. Definitely go out and buy that book, uh, Ask Iwata. And uh, you can even go back and check out our top five reasons that Mr. Iwata will be missed. But uh, just going back to this moment, it was just so perfect. You had the puppets who were slowly turning from themselves into the Star Fox <laughs> characters. And it was yes. just hilarious as these puppets just start walking down the hallway and then the camera pans over to one and they have, you know, the ears of peppy hair. And then yes. I was like, what's going on? And then it pans over and Reggie's got like the nose of Falco Lombardi. And it, they slowly just morph into the Star Fox characters. And it was just so hilariously done. I, I think they actually worked with the Jim Henson company for that for yes. that spot. But they did, yeah. Yes, they did. They're really, really well done puppets. And it really goes to show, too, how much... A lot has been said about Star Fox Zero. But it really does go to show how much Nintendo believed in that game for better or for worse, regardless of your opinions of how the game turned out, they really did believe in that game. That that was kind of the thrust of that E3. And I just loved seeing, again, it's the holy trinity of Nintendo, right? Represented with like official, like high quality Jim Henson puppets. 
in a hilarious bit where Reggie's coughing up blue feathers and Mr. Miyamoto's getting transformed into Star Fox. I mean, it's it's just great. A classic, classic E3 moment for Nintendo. And I I do kind of miss Nintendo getting that creative with their presentations. Right. Also, shout out to the time they did that crossover with Robot Chicken. Yes, yes. <laughs> that, I, I just loved that stuff. I mean, so much of that stuff came with the the sort of old guard at Nintendo. And, and you know, admittedly, I, I miss a lot of that as well. But, you know, we'll, we'll have to see what happens in the future. I mean... Who knows? Maybe maybe we'll have another puppet show this E3. <laughs> I'm down for it. I'm down for it. What, what, what game do you think they could actually pull that off with? I would be down. It, to me, I don't care. Any excuse you have to do a puppet theming, I'm down <laughs> for. I don't care what game it's revolved around, honestly. Bayonetta puppets. Yeah, <laughs> Bayonetta puppet show. Let's go. <laughs> uh, let me see a Doug Bowser puppet, our good friend Doug Bowser. See him in puppet form? Absolutely. But stuff like that really just makes me miss Awadasan even yes. more. And unfortunately, going into our number three, there's just going to be a little bit more of that because our number three features Mr. Awadasan very, very prominently. Back in 2005, there was a lot of buzz around Nintendo's next console because the Xbox 360 and the PlayStation 3 had already hit store shelves. And everybody was wondering, okay, Nintendo, what's going on? I mean, you guys are kind of falling behind here a little bit. And Nintendo very coyly, for all intents and purposes, was like, don't worry. We're going to be fine. Check out our E3. And sure enough, sure enough, at E3 2005, Nintendo started a revolution. Codenamed The Revolution, Mr. Awadasan took the main stage at E3 2005 and revealed to the world what would be called the Nintendo Wii. And he did it by taking it out of his jacket pocket. (laughs) He had a penchant for doing that. He loved doing that. He loved revealing the stuff that way. He would bring the hardware with him to E3 and just pull it out like here you can touch it it's here it's a real thing that exists there's something really kind of classy about that and something just there, there's a level of confidence there of like the thing's done i'm holding it you can see it i i really like that i that, that's something that mr awata really loved i, I wanted to shout this uh nintendo revolution slash we reveal out specifically because jeff Keeley tells a really good story about mr iwata when they were on a plane together. They actually happened to be seated on a plane together during the C3. And Mr. Iwata pulls out the Wii remote and shows it to Jeff Keighley. And he flipped it on its side to show how it mimicked an NES controller and just kind of smiled at Jeff Keighley when he showed him that. <laughs> so I just, it's stuff like that. I, I just love Mr. Iwata so much. And, and he, he loved to showcase the hardware, pull it out of his jacket pocket. The Wii, you know, it's not, I actually just recently got a Wii, as I've talked about on this show. It's not like a super light <laughs> piece of equipment. It's not super heavy, but it's not light either. So for him to just be carrying that around and just like pull it out like that is kind of awesome. It's so weird, though, because the Xbox 360 and the PlayStation 3, especially the first model PlayStation 3, those things were yeah. massive. Those things yeah, were you're not putting that in your jacket. Yeah, those things were practically furniture implements in and of themselves. So 
when Iwata took the Nintendo Wii out of his jacket pocket, especially because of Nintendo's historic dominance within the handheld landscape, I've got to imagine there were a lot of people thinking, I thought you were going to show us a console, Nintendo. I didn't think you were going to give us another handheld. But, I mean, obviously, yes, the Wii ultimately was a a relatively underpowered console from a spec standpoint compared to its contemporaries. However, the novelty and all the experimentation and all the new things that Nintendo was bringing to the casual gaming market, to the mainstream gaming market with the Nintendo Wii, I mean, specs be darned. The thing was an absolute juggernaut. The thing really was a revolution. I mean, it wound up being the project name for the Nintendo Wii, but it really was a revolution. Sold over 100 million units. It influenced literally an entire generation of game design that we're still seeing to this day with motion controls and various other implements. So again, just another moment rendered even more iconic through Legacy. Yeah, I mean, you guys don't need us to tell you how important the Wii was to video games. I mean, it, it just revolution's the best word for it. The the project name was apt and the, you know, the games proved it, the influence proved it. And I I think that this was really the first the DS was really the first, but in terms of their home consoles, the Wii was when Nintendo kind of showed where their new focus was. We're not about worrying about power. We don't need to be the biggest, most powerful, most flashy box on the market, but we are all about innovation and we are all about making video games fun for everybody. The Wii is Satoru Iwata's mindset and his design philosophies and everybody at Nintendo's design philosophies packed into this little box that Mr. Iwata was able to carry on in his jacket and pull out at E3 2005. So, I mean, just what a great moment. Oh, so good. But going into our number two, this is one of the E3 moments that I find myself going back to several times per year. I just need to relive this moment because I I can't even describe to you. Some of it comes through. If you go on YouTube and you watch the video, some of it does come through. But it cannot be understated how hype the Twilight Princess reveal at E3 2004 was. (laughs) I mean, you can barely hear the trailer. There is so much fanfare going on. And what you guys need to understand is this game was revealed hot off the heels of Wind Waker, which Mm -hmm. everybody loves in retrospect, but people who were there, I mean, we, we know and we remember well how much people dogged on Wind Waker for its art style. Oh, dude, it Zelda. was relentless. They, you know, the yeah. Zelda franchise is dead. You know, what in the world is Nintendo thinking? All this stuff. Uh, and yeah. it's, it's it's crazy because, yes, everybody loves uh, Majora's Mask is a cult classic. It's a classic in retrospect. Wind Waker is beloved, you know, in retrospect. But in the mid-2000s, that really was not the case. The Zelda franchise and many of Nintendo's franchises grew up with the people who played those original games. People who played the original Zelda and Zelda 2 to Link to the Past to, of course, the iconic, the GOAT Ocarina of Time. And then, uh, admittedly, 
the Zelda franchise hit a bit of a skid, at least in terms of mainstream popularity with Majora's Mask and especially with Wind Waker. And a lot of the people who grew up with the Zelda franchise were starting to kind of move away from the hero of time and his adventures in Hyrule. They were wanting, they really wanted that more mature feeling Zelda. They wanted that when Wind Waker was announced. A lot of people were hoping for something like Twilight Princess when Wind Waker was announced. So there were a lot of disappointed fans, a lot of disappointed people uh, just for the sake of what it wasn't. And and to be fair, I think that Nintendo is at fault for some of that because of that famous Space World 2000 trailer that showcased just the Legend of Zelda on GameCube. And it looked like, I mean, it was basically a darker Ocarina of Time, which was what people, exactly what people wanted. And then, you know, flash forward to the release of Wind Waker and that's what they got. So on one hand, I can't really blame people for being disappointed. On the other hand, Wind Waker was a phenomenal game and now everybody looks back on it in fondness. But that is why when you flash forward to E3 2004 and we get this this reveal of Twilight Princess on the E3 stage, it hit so different. And this trailer, I think, just accentuates exactly what we've been talking about. This trailer showed the fans that this was everything Wind Waker wasn't. The first words that flash on screen is blades will bleed. I mean, this was a dark trailer playing like the Conan, the barbarian music. I mean, <laughs> Elder Scrolls, Hyrule. Yeah. Game of Thrones like style. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's really awesome. And this was all punctuated by the beautiful iconic moment when Link does his classic Twilight Princess flourish, the screen fades and there's Mr. Miyamoto holding the sword and shield and man, just I like I, I watch that and I just cannot help but grin from ear to ear. <laughs> well, that's because Miyamoto was grinning from ear to ear. There is, <laughs> uh, I don't know if there is a less intimidating figure uh, than Mr. Miyamoto. I, I love Shigeru Miyamoto to death, but there may be a least there. The, I don't think there's a less convincing warrior out there <laughs> he's just adorable he's got such a charming warm smile you can't be scared of him it's impossible yeah, he just shows up with the hylian shield and the master sword he's just got this huge dorky grin on his face uh but it's, it's the best it is it really is the best he's he's an icon for a reason and obviously we have him to thank for so so many of many of the greatest games of all time and jumping in, jumping onto the, the stage at E3 following the Twilight Princess reveal, that massive standing ovation he got. And he just kind of drinks it all in like, yes, peasants. Yes. <laughs> yes, bow to me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, before we get into our number one, though, maybe a few honorable mentions, perhaps. You know, we talked at the beginning about a couple entries that were still vying for placement in the top five and legitimately one of the ones that almost made our top five, if it hadn't been for a last minute change of heart, we really, really almost had the Mario Rabbids kingdom battle reveal in our top five. Yes. Yes. The really great moment that happened. I mean, speaking of Mr. Miyamoto, yeah. when he popped up on Ubisoft stage during the 2017 press conference what? for Mario plus rabbits kingdom battle. Yeah. Uh, 
Ubisoft of all people. They got Miyamoto. And it was a complete surprise to the game's creative director, David Soliani, who was sitting in the front row stage and just the camera pans to him and he's just, he's crying because there he is. There's this hero representing his game. And it was just such a warm moment, such a heartfelt moment that really, I think, showcased that developers are people. You know, game developers are not just faceless people, you know, pounding away at a keyboard, making the video games. They are fans just like you and I, and they love Nintendo just like you and I. It was such a great moment. And Ubisoft has had a couple of very public missteps uh, over the past few years, but everything in regards to Mario plus Rabbit's Kingdom Battle, it was so incredibly clear from the first reveal that a ridiculous amount of love and care went into that game. And Seth and I have sung the praises of Mario Rabbit's Kingdom Battle the entire time we've been doing this show. And I still really hope that we get an announcement of Mario Rabbit's Kingdom Battle 2 this weekend. But I mean, yeah, that that reveal, Miyamoto showing up at a third-party conference, uh, the developer in tears just because of the emotional overload of the this amazing collaboration that he's been able to put together and this icon of the industry there supporting him through all of this. It's just really special, not because of necessarily how epic it is, but because of how touching it is. Just a, just a great moment. I also, you know, another great moment that comes to my mind is when Breath of the Wild, the first game, sort of reappeared at E3 2016 and they really kind of blew the doors off. I mean, people who attended that show spoke about how you were able to jump into the booth, play the game for 30, 40 minutes and just really get a feel for the world. And they kind of reintroduced the game to the world in a, in a big, bad way. The game had been quiet for over two years at that point, really similarly, as it turns out to breath of the wild two right now. <laughs> so hopefully at E3 this year, we get a breath of the wild Two blowout similarly, but I, I think that was just so nice, so reassuring to kind of finally see what Breath of the Wild truly was. It has become a staple in the Switch library at this point, an absolute all-time classic. But before E3 2016, we had no earthly idea what the deal was with Breath of the Wild. So it was really nice to see it reappear at that show. And there's a few moments that we've already shouted out. The Super Smash Brothers Ultimate Everyone Is Here type deal mm -hmm. where... They revealed that for the upcoming Super Smash Brothers release on the Nintendo Switch, that every past fighter would be coming back to Super Smash Brothers, that it really was going to be the biggest crossover in the history of entertainment, which it is. And just showing off all the previous fighters, just one after another rapid fire, it was just like... You know, just just getting punched in the face repeatedly with goodness. And then, of course, talking about in regards to the the puppets, we talked about the robot chicken moment where yes. Reggie lit a guy on fire. You don't ask Reggie about Mother <laughs> 3. You just don't. Reggie, where's Mother <laughs> 3? <laughs> but since we're on the topic of the former president of Nintendo of America, I'm sure when you talk about Nintendo at E3, there is one name that does just immediately come to mind. Miyamoto has had many great classic moments at E3. Mr. Owada, of course, has had many great classic moments at E3. However, arguably nobody more so in the history of the conference for any video game company 
has had more memorable moments at E3 than Reggie Fizeme. Our number one is basically just everything Reggie ever did at E3. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Reggie essentially set the stage when he literally took the stage and E3 2004, a great E3, by the way, 2004, just, just, <laughs> we already talked about the twilight princess reveal. That was also the DS, mm-hmm. you know, Reggie was on stage with the DS and now we were introduced to this larger than life, literally larger than life Nintendo of America president who took the stage and immediately became an, an icon. And I think Reggie just in general, from all of these great moments, you know, taking on the moniker of the Reginator, Fiza Mech, Fiza my Mech, body yeah. is ready. You know, I mean, Reggie has really embraced that and he is such a cornerstone to what Nintendo's identity and personality became from that point forward, putting a face to these corporate representatives. This is not something we see in other companies we, we hadn't previous. I mean, this is not something that other companies do. So for Reggie to really embrace that, I think was so important to the way that Nintendo communicated with their fans. And I think a lot of people, I just want to add a little bit of uh, context to arguably Reggie's most iconic line in that my body is ready that has just been memed to absolute death. There are so many people that have no clue where that even comes from anymore. But it was when uh, Miyamoto and the developers of Wii Fit were showing off the Wii Fit balance board at E3. And they were going to do what Wii Fit calls a body check. So they were going to have somebody stand on the Wii Fit board to do a body check. So they ask Reggie to come over. He takes his shoes off and he says, okay, my body is ready. And that's where it comes from. (laughs) It's it's just classic. I mean, Reggie to to take and he's got a long career in in marketing. Famously, he was the head of marketing for uh, for Pizza Hut for a long time. So Reggie knew the moment that the internet took hold of that, the moment the Nintendo fans took hold of that, he knew that that was a special relationship that he had the opportunity to not take advantage of, but to foster with the Nintendo fan community. And that was something that just absolutely that moment, Reggie's introduction really did set the stage for that. And I, I think Reggie is so important to how we view Nintendo today. We, we love Mr. Iwata and we respect Mr. Iwata endlessly. We love Mr. Miyamoto, but Reggie is maybe when it comes to that aspect of Nintendo's presence, Reggie really did pioneer that. Reggie will have his own wing. There'll there'll be a wing named after him in the Video Game Hall of Fame. He's not just going to be in the Video Game Hall of Fame. They're going to name an entire corridor of it after him someday. And it was all it was always so cool too to see his relationship with Bill Trinan and Oh yeah. Again, it just we they gave personality to these corporate executives. I mean, how how many other companies do that? How, nobody. I mean, nobody has this real getting to know these people and and getting to know these and they they kind of become characters. They become staples in your relationship with a company. So yeah, but we we will we will forever sing the praises of Reggie Fizeme. And I think the thing that really made Reggie Reggie for so many people is the fact that he was somehow able to combine corporate marketing with earnest, relatable goofball dork 
I mean, he really was. You looked at a guy and said, I completely believe that this guy plays the same video games that I do. Despite the fact that he wears a suit, despite the fact that he makes about 100 times more than me, despite the fact that he's got probably 15 degrees that I will never even fathom of having, he just still somehow felt incredibly relatable in the way he came off. I, I don't know how he did it. I don't know how in the world he was able to toe that line between corporate marketing and lovable goofball dork, but he did it effortlessly. And he just, he genuinely seemed, he genuinely seemed like the kind of guy that would play a round of Mario Kart with you. Totally. We love you, Reggie. Yeah. This could have very easily been a top five Reggie moments. Yeah. And maybe we'll have to do that, you know, at some point, but that's, that's another list for another time. Uh, Man, so many great moments throughout E3's history though with Nintendo. Absolutely. And hopefully many more to come this year. But what about you guys? What are your favorite E3 Nintendo moments? Which ones did we forget that we should be ashamed of ourselves for leaving off the list? Make sure to reach out to us and let us know. Reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter and tell us how terrible this list was and how much better we could have made it with your picks. Please do reach out to us and Tell us all of your thoughts on Nintendo and E3's combined history. But obviously E3 2021, middle of June. Middle of June is always a big E3 celebration. However, we have another celebration. We've already talked about it, but we are celebrating one year of all in. But in addition to that, in addition to that, It turns out there was another really cool piece of video game media outside of All In that is celebrating a very significant birthday. Today, as a matter of fact, today, June 12th, is the ninth anniversary of the worldwide release of indie game The Movie. That's right. A phenomenal documentary about independent games. And one of the cornerstones of this documentary is what we are covering this week at our Indie Showcase. Phil Fish's Fez. Fez is a game that, frankly, I'm surprised we got on the Nintendo Switch. I really thought, I really thought we had heard the last of this franchise, this game, this institution within the indie game landscape. So when they showed off Fez in that Indie World Showcase, that was kind of a mind-blowing moment for us. Yeah, it was. I mean, Fez famously was in development for a very long time the development of which is covered within indie game the movie highly recommend you guys watch that movie uh it's so good but i mean famously a year or so after a year and a half or so after fez came out phil fish announced fez 2 and then almost immediately canceled fez 2 (laughs) so and he left the games industry so we were all but certain that fez was was done for. We were going to get this one really fantastic little indie game and that was it. So yeah, when we saw this pop up during an indie world showcase coming to Nintendo switch, it was a surprise to say the least. And you really can't talk about Fez without really going into the story of Phil fish and what happened following the release of Fez. Fez came out originally for the Xbox 360 back on April 13th, 2012. So almost a full decade ago, even though the game, I mean, you could, it could very easily pass for an indie game release today, but oh yeah, 
It came out almost a decade ago, and it was immediately lauded as, you know, the hot new thing on the indie game market. This was when the indie game scene was really starting to take off. You had, you know, you already had favorites like Braid. You already had developers like Twisted Pixel really showing what indie games could do. And then right kind of on the heels of that, right as the indie game landscape was starting to explode, Fez came out. And alongside its indie game, the movie counterpart, Super Meat Boy, Fez and Super Meat Boy really just, you know, further catapulted the entire idea of indie games uh, into the stratosphere. And, you know, we have games like Super Meat Boy and Fez to thank for where the indie games industry is at right now. It sounds like hyperbole, sounds like very lofty praise. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's pretty true. Totally. When it comes to indie games, I mean, it, it really, maybe with Braid, another game featured in Indie Game, the movie, uh, they, they really started to feel like real games. You know what I mean? To, to the, to the modern gamer, people are like, oh, I can, I can actually download full games now. And it's, it's, the quality is just as good as something that I'm seeing in the AAA space. So when Fez had this labored, you know, over five-year development cycle, uh, it was first like shown off at the IGF, I think, in two thousand seven. And I mean, you you see how much of Phil Fish's blood, sweat, and tears went into this game, and it absolutely comes through in the final product because Fez is still there's nothing quite like it still in today's day and age. From the gimmick to the style to the music, there is nothing out there that is quite like Fez. When it comes to games that are chiefly developed by a single person, there are really few examples more impressive than Fez at this point. Uh, Ultimately, it's a game that you can beat in about 10 hours. But when you actually look at everything that's in this title... It is absolutely insane to me that this wasn't at least a 15, 20 person team that put this game together. But to get into the actual meat and bones of the game, considering that it is actually a game and not just a legend that gamers pass from one generation to the next. For all intents and purposes, Fez is a puzzle platformer. And the big gimmick, the big selling point of Fez is the fact that it's technically a 2D puzzle platformer. However, the environments within the game are kind of rendered in 3D. And what I mean by kind of rendered in 3D, there are essentially four planes of existence in Fez. The entire gimmick, the entire gameplay hook of Fez is the fact that you can shift the perspective of the environment that you're looking at by 90 degrees at a time. Imagine this diorama set world. Imagine uh, you're playing Captain Toad Treasure Tracker, but instead of looking isometrically at the environment in 3D, imagine you only saw it from a single side in 2D at any one given point. And then you could walk from left to right or jump from platform to platform on that 2D plane. And then you could also shift perspective. You could actually rotate the map a full 90 degrees 
And then that would become your 2D plane. And the big hook, the big gimmick of that is, even if elements in the stage are separated in a 3D space, perspective is reality in Fez. If it looks like two elements are next to each other uh, on a 2D landscape, then they are. Even if you look from one perspective and two platforms are way too far apart, if you shift the perspective and it looks like those two platforms are now standing next to each other, then they are. And it's an incredibly mind-bending experience. It's hard to accurately describe. You really have to see the game for yourself. Yeah, I mean, again, there's nothing quite like it. I mean, you play as this little... This little guy, this little <laughs> pixel art dude named Gomez, uh, who essentially starts out the game living in a happily living in a 2D world, but then receives the titular red Fez hat. And that basically grants him the power of or the the knowledge or the vision that the world that he's inhabiting is actually 3D. And what this means is exactly what you just said the game exists on these four axes, these four planes of reality that you rotate 90 degrees. But when you're looking at it dead on, it just looks like pixel art. It mm-hmm. just looks like, you know, traditional 2d pixel art. And then you rotate and you're like, Oh my goodness, this is actually 3d. And then it kind of like locks again. And it's another pixel art 2d head on environment. It's really effective. And again, hard to describe. You'll, you'll have to play it and see for yourself, but the way that they incorporate this mechanic into the puzzles, the way that you can just easily press the left or the right triggers to rotate that 90 degree uh, angle and get the new perspective on the world, the way that these puzzles are integrated is just, I mean, yeah, it's its mind melding. It's amazing the way they're integrated. And the world of Fez has this just meticulous level of detail and care. And this game... <laughs> I, I and, and I laugh even just thinking about it, but there are probably things in this game that are still undiscovered because the world of Fez, the world that Phil Fish has created here is just rife with secrets and mm-hmm. hidden details and puzzles and codes. And just, I, I mean, this, this is a jam packed little game. Yeah. I really wouldn't blame you if you felt like you had to bust out a guide for quite a bit of the stuff that you need to find in Fez because there are quite a few things that the game doesn't really explain to you. But once you understand, it just opens up almost literally a new world of possibilities. There are, there's this kind of ancient writing that you can discover that actually has meaning within the game. And if you understand how to read it and if you understand how to implement it, uh, there's actually a lot of codes like cheat codes that you can find that can unlock various things within the game. If you know how to read them and how to implement them, there's this clock within the game. There's these, there's all kinds of really weird, interesting little flourishes and really interesting little mechanical uh, gimmicks within Fez. It's kind of astounding he was able to fit all this into a single game. Now, the big overarching goal of Fez is to collect the pieces of the hexahedron. One of the first things that happens in Fez is once you get the eponymous Fez, 
you get it within this massive room showing off this massive ancient golden cube. And just as you're messing with your new 3D world altering powers, doing that actually snaps the hexahedron into, you know, a couple hundred pieces. You wind up literally breaking the world. So the goal of Fez is to travel throughout this game's world, collecting the pieces of the hexahedron. There are 32 total cubes in all to collect of this once grand ancient golden cube. And you can find individual cubes. You can find the actual finished cubes, but more often than not, you will be collecting pieces of those 32 cubes. There are eight pieces. There are eight pieces for each cube and you will find, you will be collecting a ton of those cube pieces. So that's basically the entire goal of the game is once you accidentally break the world, once you accidentally shatter the hexahedron, you travel throughout the world of Fez, shifting perspective and shifting reality 90 degrees at a time to look for the cube pieces and the cubes of the hexahedron to put it back together and put everything right back in the world. And and here's where I really struggle with Fez. Because Fez is an experience, I've heard it said before, that Fez is a game that should be respected and experienced versus played. And while I don't necessarily agree with that sentiment, what I think they mean is Fez has a way of being extremely obtuse and Fez doesn't necessarily care. It's not like a typical video game experience where you go and you fight the enemies and you get to the boss and you collect all the collectibles, blah, blah, blah. Fez doesn't necessarily care if you finish it or not. It doesn't necessarily care if you 100% the game. And as a matter of fact, 100%ing uh, this game, which I have done before, is a Herculean feat. And it, it's actually quite difficult and requires a lot of just laboring over every detail of the world. Now it's rewarding, of course, if you go through the trouble of doing that, but Fez really kind of breaks your subversion. It kind of breaks your interpretation of what a traditional video game experience should be like, even though it's a 2d puzzle platformer, which is one of the most explored, (laughs) explored genres of video games, particularly indie games. Fez is so different in the way it approaches its game design. This is a game that basically is creating a world for you to explore. And it doesn't necessarily bother itself with the ease of letting the player explore it. And I think that could turn a lot of people off. And I think for me, that boils down to my my major criticism with the game being the game's map system. Yeah, that's fair. I... That, especially upon replay, I still cannot get over the game's map system. It is so obtuse. And again, the, the game has this vibe of like, this is the world, you're in it. And there there are all of these little nodes on this map that you are exploring. And it is very satisfying when you find everything in a node. It will have this gold plate to mm-hmm. it. So you know when you've completely explored and, and gotten all the cubes and whatnot in a node. But it's like impossible to tell exactly where you are, how the nodes connect. The zooming 
in on the map is really obtusely handled. It that that's my major gripe with this game. I can totally understand what this game is going for. I can respect its obtuseness. I can I like the fact that it's like a stop and smell the roses kind of experience. I'm cool with all of that. But just mechanically, I don't like the game's map. And I, I just feel like a <laughs> lot of people playing this game for the first time, not knowing exactly what it is, coming in and thinking it's going to be a typical puzzle platformer experience are, are in for rude awakening because Fez is anything but typical. And one of the biggest problems, it, the the perspective shifting mechanic is amazing and it keeps the game interesting throughout despite the oh, fact yeah. of a relative lack of other mechanics. The perspective shifting thing is just so incredibly interesting. However, it does offer up some difficulties when it comes to traversal because typically you have, you know, one game world, especially when you're talking about games that are played within a 2D framework. Uh, you have, you know, one plane. You go left to right. And if you have doors, if you have buildings, if you have anything that you have to enter, it's all done on that one plane. And because of that, it's relatively easy to keep track of. However, because of the four separate planes that exist in Fez, all of which wind up having plenty of doors and plenty of entryways that you can mm -hmm. go through, keeping all of those situated and trying to you know, reconcile the different planes and which plane you entered which door on and... Right trying to figure out that's what makes the map really, really difficult. And that's what makes the game really, really hard to traverse. They, they do have a map system. It's done in this weird kind of just jointed no 3d node setup. And just like Seth said, it does take a while to get used to. You'll probably get used to it by the time you're done with the game. But yes, as as amazing as the core mechanic of the perspective shifting is, that has made the game moving from map to map, moving from environment to environment, incredibly hard to keep track of. So you're going to be looking at the map a lot. You're going to be trying to interpret the map a lot. And there's probably going to be a lot of things, a lot of easy things to miss just because, I mean, especially when it comes to certain maps, there are certain maps that have five, six doors on them easily. Oh, yeah. And trying to reconcile all those and trying to find all of those within a four plane uh, environment, you're very easily going to miss several sometime. And those individual doors could lead to entire massive new portions of the map by themselves. So there's going to be a ton of backtracking. There's going to be a ton of trying to figure out what you're doing. Now, admittedly, I typically have trouble when it comes to navigation in the real world. But if if you actually sit down and you put in the time, you can't ultimately learn how to effectively navigate this world. But it is a there is definitely a bit of a learning curve in that regard. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, and like I said, Fez is just different from these other games that you've played. I mean, there's there really is nothing quite like it. That this game is. I mean, from from the visuals of it, the game looks beautiful. The pixel art is stunning. The like pastel colors. The Phil Fish was talking about. He wanted to create a pleasant world to exist in, and he really did. And I cannot talk about this game without stopping for a second and talking about the music, um, because 
Disaster Pieces soundtrack to Fez is one of the finest video game soundtracks of all time. Full stop. And it is a soundtrack that I've carried with me for almost a decade now. I was telling you about this. I, mm-hmm. I have that soundtrack worked into several of my playlists on Spotify. I still, all this time removed, I don't go back and replay Fez all the time, but I listen to Fez's soundtrack constantly. It has become a staple of my life. It's that good. I mean, it is just, I'm a huge Disaster Piece fan anyway, and Fez is really some of his best work. There is just something about the sound effects and the very chip tune audio design in Fez because, you know, obviously pixel art is such a, a, a ever present aesthetic when it comes to indie games these days. And Fez is arguably one of the reasons that it became so popular because of how gorgeous the pixel art in the game is. And it was very much a throwback, very much a retro aesthetic back when retro aesthetic was kind of avant-garde. But the the audio design and the chip tune and the almost 16-bit sounding sound effects and music was also a huge part of that motif. And I don't know how in the world they did it, but a lot of the audio design and a lot of the music it sounded new. They got it to sound new and fresh while at the same time, 100% evoking that era of video games. It's really, really impressive how you're, how you're able to make something new, but make it feel old, make it feel retro. It, it really speaks to what I think is the core, the very core tenet. When you distill Fez to its base component, in the music and the visuals and the game design, Fez comes from such a place of love for video games, right? From references to things like Tetris and Zelda and Mario all over the place to the way the game looks. Yes. The way the game sounds, the obtuseness, the sort of world building, the sort of like, Hey, you're going to need to bust out a pen and paper. You're going to need to look up cheat codes or whatever. You're going to need to talk to your friend on the schoolyard. You know what I mean? Like, This game, Fez, feels like a love letter to video games without overtly being a love letter to video games. And i I, that's my favorite thing about it. And we do want to be careful about how much we go into the game's world because the game certainly has a few very interesting surprises. A very... Oh, yeah. It's got a few very interesting curveballs to throw at the player that'll wind up adding quite a bit more playtime to your file. Not just within the game itself, but potentially even beyond a first playthrough. There's some really, really interesting things the game does. And I've got to say, the ending the, the ending just has to be seen to be believed. It really does. The game, there's, there's this... When you break the world, there are these black holes. There's this glitching effect that takes hold in the world. And as you continue to explore more, as you continue to collect more of the hexahedron cubes, you'll see more of this glitching, more of this black hole mass appear on the overworld. And that's a huge theme throughout is this encroaching, you know, destruction, this encroaching nothingness. And there's something about the ending that just really brings that full circle I again I don't want to spoil anything about the ending itself but it's out there man. 
It really is. <laughs> the second you kn- the second you think you know what Fez is, the second you think you've got a handle on what Fez is, and you think you've seen all of the tricks it has up its sleeve, you're dead wrong. There's there's more, and the game has a way of wowing you and and just making you say no way. And um, yeah, the the ending is certainly one of those. But just kind of going into the end of our indie showcase on Fez, there's not much to the game from a gameplay perspective. There's not really much to talk about. It's a 2D puzzle platformer where you shift perspectives. It's got amazing pixel art. The story behind Phil Fish and his incredibly public, uh, I guess let's just call it exit from the video games industry. And just everything about the game. When it comes to indie games, there are just certain games that stand out within the industry. Games like Celeste, games like Braid, games like Super Meat Boy. These games are required reading within the indie games landscape. There are good indie games. There are great indie games. There are classic indie games. But Fez really feels like it's in that inner circle of like the indie game Illuminati. Fez is required reading for fans of indie games. It really is. Totally. I mean, 100%. You have to experience Fez. However you end up feeling about it when you come away from it is up to you. But it is 100% a game that you have to experience because it is wholly unique. There is no other game before or since that is anything really just like Fez. So, I mean... And it was one of those things that's become such an icon in the indie game space. I mean, we we had to cover it on our indie showcase. We had to tell you guys about it. And I'm just ecstatic that we have the opportunity to cover it. Uh, we've already yeah. talked about it at the beginning of the indie showcase. I still can't believe that we got Fez on the Nintendo Switch. You, you look at all the... I mean, obviously, Nintendo has been making a massive push with indie games with the Nintendo Switch, it seems like whoever wants to put anything on the Nintendo Switch is just, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, we love indie games. Go ahead. It feels like there's almost no gatekeeper there at all. There's almost no quality control there at all. However, it has led to us getting Super Meat Boy. It has led to us getting Braid here very soon. It has le- it has led to us getting Fez and Axiom Verge and all these amazing, all of these all-time great indie games all in one place. And I'm glad that Fez has joined the family. But what about you guys? Have you played Fez? Have you ventured throughout the world as Gomez collecting the cubes of the hexahedron and fighting against the nothingness and the black holes that are encroaching on your world. If you have, let us know what you thought about the adventure. Reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter and tell us what you thought of Phil Fish's masterpiece. Or if you haven't, let us know if you plan to. And if you haven't, why not? (laughs) That's what we're here talking about it for, man. (laughs) Jeez. But but Eric, the time has come. (laughs) A very important time has come. We've talked about E3. We've talked about the birthday of of Indie Game the Movie, and we've talked about Fez, but it's finally time for us to talk about our birthday. It's time for the main event. It's time to blow out the candles. It's time to look back 
at a year of All In and let our lovely listeners know what to look forward to from All In in year two. We've got a lot to announce, a lot to talk about. So let's send the listeners home with a good feeling and let's give them something to talk about and let's really kick off this weekend the right way right now. Eric, if you'll indulge me for a moment, (laughs) I would like to turn back the clock. I would like to turn back the clock a little over a year and flashback to, I guess, mid to late May of 2020. I was in quarantine at that time, Mm -hmm. and I was playing a lot of Animal Crossing. (laughs) And there came a point where you and I, as we have done over the course of our relationship, were talking about that game and other things Nintendo related. And it came to the point where I was like, man, we, we need to do a podcast together. We had talked about doing, you know, projects together in the past. I, I got to a place where I was like, we, we need to stop saying it and actually do it. We need to make a Nintendo podcast. I have never met another person that I felt like loved Nintendo the same way that I love Nintendo. So it was like, it was time. You and I had to make a Nintendo podcast. We had to become Nintendo content creators. <laughs> and that, that that was the start, man. That was the genesis right there. And here we are a year later celebrating a year of all in. I, I got to give you credit, by the way. I don't think we've ever said this on the show. You came up with the name, All In. I did, yeah. Yeah, it was kind of <laughs> off the cuff. It was. It just kind of popped into my head like the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man from Ghostbusters. It just kind of <laughs> popped in there. But yeah, All In was not your first podcast, wasn't even your second podcast. As a matter of fact, I believe you even asked my opinion. You asked my advice on a couple of your your broadcasting, your podcasting endeavors. Because as I've mentioned before on the show, I do have a fairly long broadcasting yeah. background with the military. So between that and us both being, you know, incredibly unbiased uh, fangirls. <laughs> Nintendo-year-olds. Yeah. Nintendo-year-olds. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. It, it was, yeah, it was kind of a combination of like, I had been doing podcasts. It wasn't my second. It wasn't my third. It wasn't even my fourth podcast at that point. I've been <laughs> laboring in obscurity with podcasting for the better part of the past decade. And I, I've I've done podcasts for a long time. You had a storied career in the military. Did great work with your broadcasting career. Oh, so well, I thank knew you. it was, I knew it was peanut butter and chocolate. You know, like I, I just we just had to make the Reese's cup, uh, and and we did, man. And like I gotta am say, I, am like, I the chocolate? Been, you can be the chocolate. I'll, I'll be give the you chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you that. Uh, it, it's just been awesome. It's been awesome. This past year has been such a joy getting to know people getting to like make friends and, and just like, I don't know, being part of a community. It, it, it has felt like so often, like you're just like screaming into the void, like you're making something and nobody is listening, but we make a show that people listen to and we make a show that we make friends with and, and make connections. And I mean, we're, we're going to talk about it, but we've gotten to do some really cool stuff as a result of all in. And this is really just the beginning. Yeah, it was just kind of happenstance as we were gearing up, as we were in the process of of launching this podcast last year, I was just coming off of one of the most, 
uh, one of the most intimate experiences that I've ever had with a video game playing a game called Wander Song. Shout out to Greg Lobanov, who just launched Chicory on the PlayStation. Yes. Uh, I mean, we've played Wander Song. We haven't had the opportunity to play Chicory yet, but I know it's going to be amazing. And we desperately need that on the Nintendo Switch. Greg, again, open invitation if you ever want to come back on the show to announce Chicory yes. for the Nintendo Switch. Congratulations on the launch, buddy. But a year ago, I just finished Wander Song. We were gearing up for this, and I just said, you know what? Let's reach out to him. Let's reach out to Greg Lobanov and see if he'd like to come on the show and talk to us about his game, if he'd like to help us out with our endeavor. And sure enough, I mean, we hadn't produced a single minute of content no. at that time. We were basically just a promise and a prayer. But Greg, you know, donated his time. He was uh, incredibly nice, incredibly generous. And agreed to be our very first guest and i think i honestly think that was kind of a tipping point moment for me once we got greg once, we, once that episode really came together around having this guest who's responsible for now two of the most impressive indie games of the last five years yeah that's when you know it kind of coagulated for me it's like all right I, I really feel like we have something here and then of course the very next week we had the amazing game champ 3000 this challenge I mean, runner extraordinaire how cool is that, man? Yeah, it, definitely go back and check out those interviews from our first two episodes. Uh, Greg, Game Champ, they're both fantastic. But I really felt like, okay, we've got something. Let's see what we got. We just continue to add new things, new flourishes, new segments, new new content. And we we just created this thing and it it, it just worked. It just worked. Yeah. We found our own little way to create content and it just worked. Yeah, 100%. I think one of the things that I'm most proud of with this show, and, and I think you would agree with me on this, is the way that we champion independent games. And that was something that we knew we were going to do right from the outset when we were sitting down in the kind of like pre-production phase, as it were, for oh, the yeah. show. We were like, every week we need to shout out an indie game. And that would become the Indie Showcase. And we have now featured every single week on the show, now 53 independent games, <laughs> um, which is a crazy thing to consider. The fact that we have talked and, and told our audience about 53 independent games, something that has been noticed by independent pub uh, publishers. And, and we've built relationships now with indie publishers. And I just, yeah. I love that. I love that we can show these games off to people there's such a wealth of amazing indie games on switch it was actually something that we were a little worried about when we first started we were like man like are, are we gonna have an issue coming up with indie games to talk about and play week after week after week but it has not been an issue whatsoever there's no. so many amazing games if anything I mean, we're if anything we're getting more backlogged yeah yeah, if anything, it's like, man, we don't have enough time to talk about all of these, but it's it, that's been such a joy for me. And the, the top fives are always so fun. And I, I think that's what really is special to me about the show is that it is a variety show. Yeah. Um, the, the fact that we have so many different things for different facets of being a Nintendo fan. I, I just really, I love what we do. And it, it may be a little bit self-serving to say that, but it's, it's our <laughs> birthday. We're allowed to be self-serving. Yeah, it's our party. <laughs> we'll cry if we want to. Oh, wait, we're not. <laughs> yes. We'll pat our own backs if we want to. Yes, we know we, as a show, we go fairly 
long. We get that. But that's yeah. why the variety is so important to us. That's why we have the, a whole new segment. That's why we do top fives and indie showcases. And fun little fact, for the first couple of weeks of our show, we did kind of flip-flop between indie spotlight and indie showcase yeah. <laughs> before <laughs> finally settling. It's like, you know, no, it's indie showcase from now on. Bah, branding. But yes, we, it took us a minute. And then Nintendo stole it. It was like a whole thing. Yeah, you had the <laughs> Indie World Showcase, and you're like, Dude, should we ask for royalties? But yeah, the, the variety does mean a lot to us because I'm, we could not do a two-and-a-half, three-hour show on just a singular topic no. or a singular no. segment. So we understand that our show goes long, and that's one of the reasons that you know we break up the show the way we do. Is if you want to listen to the news, the Saturday, the day we release it, cool. And then you want to, you know, maybe if you have half an hour, 40 minutes, you want to check out our top five from this past episode the next day. You want to save the indie showcase for Wednesday or Thursday. We specifically break it down like that, you know, so that you don't have to just sit and binge the entire episode in one sitting. We, you know, we produce all this content. We release all this content in these huge bursts in these big two and a half, three hour chunks, but you're not going to break our hearts. If you don't listen to the entire episode <laughs> in one go. No, no, we want you to treat it as a tasting menu. If you, if you want to, you know, take the whole thing in, in one big episode, we, we invite you to do that. But at the same time, we are just as thrilled. However you want to consume our content. And, I got to say this, this past week, I have pulled together some interesting little tidbits uh, that if you'll indulge me, I would like to get into. I think some of these are fairly interesting. Some stats. All right. All right. This is the second time you're asking me to indulge you. Don't push it. (laughs) So these are some stats from year one of all. And I do want to give a disclaimer here. Uh, iTunes is horrible. Fellow podcasters (laughs) out there, you know iTunes is horrible when it comes to getting stats and traffic reports and stuff like this. Uh, So we are currently live, as we always say, uh, SoundCloud, you know, Google Podcasts, uh, iTunes and Spotify. So to the best of my ability, I have accrued data from all of these sources. And by the way, guys, we don't say this a lot, but if there is a place that you listen to your podcast that you would like to see us on, just let us know. I want to be wherever you want to listen to us. Uh, but when it comes to these stats, I've pulled them from all of those. Um, let me just let me just give you the top level stat here. The sum total of the first year of All In episodes, the grand total of the hours of podcasting Nintendo goodness that we've put out into the world in our first year, drum roll please, <laughs> is 142 hours 55 minutes and 57 seconds Good of all in a Nintendo podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. That means I, I, yeah, I feel tired just even saying that. Uh, but that means that the overall episode average length of an average episode of all in is just over two hours and 45 minutes. So, we, we make a big show every week, guys. <laughs> we do. That's a lot of us talking about stuff. That's just in our first year. So onward and upward, right? I just, that's an incredible number. So hit those again. 
Yeah, so 142 hours, 55 minutes, and 57 seconds <laughs> of, of podcasting this, this first year. So not including what we're recording right now, not including this episode. Um, and two, uh, just over two hours and 45 minutes is the average episode length of an episode of our show. Wow. So I thought that was pretty cool. Another uh, statistic that I thought was really interesting. This was a surprise to me. I think you'll get a kick out of this. I know the top five countries that listen to all in a Nintendo <laughs> podcast. Okay. Now the first two are the usual suspects. I am not surprised that our number one country that listens to all in a Nintendo podcast is the United States. No surprise. Right? That would have been amazing if it was like, <laughs> you know, Mongolia or something. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, roughly 57% of our audience uh, is based in the U S which is actually smaller than I thought. Um, but number two, which makes up like over 30% is Canada. So, okay. I get that. Fair right? enough. I'm going to have to learn to speak Canadian. <laughs> yeah. You're already there. Maybe you pick up French though. Maybe that'll help. But, uh, number three, Belgium, our number three country that listens to all in is Belgium. Wow. Huh? Yeah. That that kind of floored me. I was like, really? Followed by the UK, which I could kind of see, but Belgium beat out the UK. And then our, our fifth country is Argentina. <laughs> so shout out to the all in listeners in Belgium and Argentina. <laughs> yeah. Might have to come down there doing an appearance or something. Yeah, definitely. I, I just thought that was really crazy. I I mean, we're, we're listened to, I mean, there's a small subset of listeners in like Russia and stuff like that. And I, you know, you never know how much of that is, is consistent, but for these, these countries to be in the top five means that we have got a consistent audience in Belgium, the UK and Argentina. Who'd have thought? <laughs> um, so I thought that was really cool. Well, thank you guys for listening. Always, always. I mean, that's, that's why we do it, man. So we, we, yeah, huge thanks to, to those folks, everybody that listens to the show, no matter where you are in the world, but it's so cool that we have that, that kind of worldwide audience. Uh, the preferred platform to listen to all in a Nintendo podcast is via Android smartphone devices. So across everything, across iPhones, across PCs, what have you, any way of listening. As a matter of fact, there are people who listen to the show via the Xbox SoundCloud app. Nice. Which is hilarious. I didn't even know that was a thing. Our Nintendo yes. podcast coming out of an <laughs> Xbox. I respect that. I, I love it. If it, if somebody wants to send us a picture of them listening or a video of them listening to the show on their Xbox, I'd be down for that. <laughs> uh, the most downloaded episode of All In and Nintendo podcast is actually an extremely close toss up, literally by a factor of two downloads. Episode 50. And our very first episode are the two most popular episodes of All In. Wow, that's interesting. I thought that was very interesting. I get the first episode thing, kind of mm -hmm. going back and looking where we started and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, episode 50, a recent episode, was hugely popular. So I thought that was kind of cool. The day of the week that people most like to listen to All In a Nintendo podcast, not Saturday, the day the episode goes live, although... A lot of people do listen on Saturday, but it is most popular on Sunday, weirdly. So I guess people like to enjoy a chill Sunday and just kind of hang out with us and listen to All In. So 
or maybe or maybe they're maybe they're playing it for the whole family over Sunday lunch. I don't know. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. Sunday. Sunday is all end day. I think we may push those stats a, a couple days for E3 weekend. Yeah, right. Yeah, we'll see how that shakes out. Uh over we we've already talked about some of the awesome special guests that we've had. One of the, you know, some of the things I'm most proud of, making friends, making connections, some great interviews that we've had. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I, I can't even honestly can't even pick a favorite because I, I this sounds like a cop out, but I have legitimately loved them all. Like it has been so fun. That is some of my favorite stuff to do is to hang out with people on the show. And, you know, people always get a kick out of our introductions, our yays. You know? uh, we have been we have been complimented quite a few times on our introductions. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I love doing that. That that's some of my favorite stuff to do. Over half of our available episodes of All End feature special guests. Uh, as a matter of fact, twenty nine episodes of All End feature a special guest. So I thought that was cool. Kind of, and they've really run the gamut of personalities oh, within yeah. the Nintendo zeitgeist. Obviously, we've had a ton of independent developers that we've talked to, from Greg Labonov to the minds behind Horus to the amazing Jules Watchem of Atui, uh, just a, a ton of different people. And then we've got a ton of, you know, content creators that also run the gamut. Yeah. Not just YouTube content creators like Game Champ that I mentioned, but we also had another early guest. Uh, Gabe Durham, who does Boss Fight Books. I, I know Seth's already mentioned Boss Fight Books yeah. earlier on in the episode. But uh, yeah, that was a great interview too. And then, of course, we've had some amazing voice actors. Of course, we've had Sean Chiplock, the voice of Rivali, and so many others within um, the video game landscape. And of course, for our Mario 35th episode, we had the amazing Kenny James, the voice of Bowser himself it's uh it's been so great it's been so cool to meet and hang out and in several cases I actually feel like we've we've established a friendship established a relationship yeah. with some of these people so we still keep in contact with with quite a few of them we're very lucky to to get to know and get to interact and get to you know be peers with so many of these amazingly talented individuals yeah, that's and that's something that I'm really proud of too. The fact that when when we have guests on the show, like yeah, we we have such a variety. It truly is a variety show in every sense of the word because uh, you know, one week we may have somebody from the community that does a, another content creator like our buddy Dan from Retrologic or something. Mm -hmm. Or we may have a Sean Shiplock or a Kenny James, or we may have a Jeremy Sneed, the director of Playing with Power on the show. I mean, we, we really do, you know, Gabe, you know, runs a, a book publication. I mean, it's all these different facets of Nintendo. It, there really is a lot of variety. It's not enough to just talk about content creation. It's not enough to just talk about games. Nintendo's bigger than that. And, and I'm really proud of the way that we've been able to explore all of that with our guests. And that is something that is certainly going to continue in year two. Something that is certainly going to be a huge uh, focus for us moving forward. Um, I also am really proud of our uh, our names that we bring to the show every week. <laughs> uh, those are always fun. All the fun little names we come up. And I want to throw this out. I want to throw the gauntlet down to anybody listening to my voice right now. Because uh, are you doing it? I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. We've talked about this. All right. We we talked about this after uh, after I first decided to do this name on the show. There is an episode of this show where I specifically referenced a PlayStation exclusive game 
controversially, or at least I thought it would be controversial. Nobody noticed or called me out on it. <laughs> uh, but I, I mentioned that my, my name was a reference to a PlayStation game in one of our intros. So I'm throwing down the gauntlet, dear listener. If you can go back and if you can find me that name, DM either me at $2 hero on Twitter or message the show at all in podcast with the name the in, in question and the episode number. And I will give you a little prize. I'll, I'll give you a, I'll give you a $20 eShop gift card. If you <laughs> an, can do that. An actual giveaway here on all in. So you're doing that yes. $20 gift card for the first person that DMS you or the show this PlayStation exclusive name that you used at the beginning of one of our episodes. We're doing that. Huh? Yes. All yes, right. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. We, we've talked about that. We were like, man, at some point we just need to like throw that gauntlet down and see if anybody caught it or if anybody can catch it. So <laughs> if you go back and if you listen to our intros, you will find that one of them was an overt PlayStation reference. The only time that that has happened. We're always making a Nintendo reference or some sort of, I usually go for something that's thematic every now and then you usually go totally out of left field with it, but it's always Nintendo related. Yeah. And except for this one time. So if you can find that there's a $20 eShop card in it, in it for you. I'm sure so. nobody called you out on it just because people respect our opinions. <laughs> they respect our knowledge base so much. They probably just said, Oh, I guess that game just came out for a Nintendo console. And I didn't realize it at some point. <laughs> I mean, look, I if if that's the case, I'm flattered, but uh, I I don't know that that's the case. So <laughs> anyway, that's that's it. If if you want to throw that down, yes, I will do a little a little bit of a giveaway. I'll, there's an incentive for you if you can pick that one out. So nice, uh, the hunt is on. <laughs> yes, you're not allowed to compete. You know what it is. You're not allowed to compete. <laughs> All right. Well, welcome back to the episode. I hope the hunt went well for you. <laughs> yeah, right. Pause it, go back and listen. I hope exactly. the hunt went well. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's fair. And hopefully you enjoy whatever you spend your $20 eShop card on, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So welcome back to the episode. Welcome back. Welcome back. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we, we've done a lot of uh, of looking back at the past year and reminiscing. And it's it's been such a joy. But I think we need to give the folks something to talk about, you know, E3 weekends coming up. We, we uh, very strategically launched this episode on the day E3 begins. Very, very smart of us. I know, right. uh, To do that, (laughs) but let's give them something to talk about, man. We have got big plans for year two of all in. We are not stopping and quite the opposite. As a matter of fact, we are not leaving it up to just simply continuing to do this amazing show every week. We could have, but we're not. We're going to grow. So let's have a little E3 of our own. Let's announce some stuff. What can the folks look forward to in year two? Guys, again, just before I get into it, um, I want to thank everybody so much you know, for the support and, and everything that we've done and everything that we will continue to do going into year two is for you guys. Um, and kind of bouncing off of that community, right, is such a big thing. And the friends that we've made and the the way that we are going to communicate with you guys. The all-in community is about to get a lot better. And in line with what a lot of our fellow content creators from the Nintendo Pals to Nintendo Dads to RetroLogic and many more, we are announcing right here, right now, the all-in's very first Discord server. We've got a 
Discord server that is set up. You can join it right now. You'll find links to it in the episode description. We'll be posting about it on social media, of course. Uh, and you can join the All In community on Discord and chat with us about Nintendo stuff. And we've got it set up to where you can promote your stuff on there. You can keep up with news on there. You can do general chat. You can submit community questions that we may read on the show. And we've got lobbies set up for some other stuff that we're going to be talking about. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's not just a Discord server. Everybody's got a Discord server. We're very happy to be getting our own, but that is not by any means all that we have going on. Not at all. I, I want to say right here, right now, that we have been for this past year just simply a podcast. And we're supplementing that with a more easy hub for our community to chat with and, and to engage with us on, of course, via Discord. But that's not it. Uh, I'm announcing right here that All In is now not only a podcast, but a media network. And what that means is video content. All In is going to start producing video content effective immediately, guys. We have got a brand new YouTube channel. You'll find links to all of that, both, on, again, on social media and in the episode description um, from here on out, really. And Eric... We have a really cool video that's sitting on that YouTube channel right now for folks to check out. Yes, when he said immediately, he means immediately. We very briefly mentioned it earlier on in the episode. However, we have a full video preview along with all of our initial thoughts and our initial reactions to Lego Builder's Journey following the preview event that we were so graciously invited to take part in this past week. Again, that video is up now on the YouTube channel, the full video preview, giving all of our thoughts and impressions about the upcoming Lego Builders journey. Definitely hit up YouTube and check that out. Absolutely. I'm so proud of the way that turned out. And, and by the way, I just want to stop and say guys too, that that was such a cool moment for us to be invited to that again. Thank you so much to, to Lego and Lightbrick studio for, for inviting us to attend that preview event. But, but how cool is that, that here we are on our first anniversary, we started from nothing. We had experience, of course, in the field, but we started this from the ground up and here we are going to preview events. It was, it was so cool, such a treat. And it's so cool to share the fruits of that with you guys here on our first anniversary. Um, but that, even that, there's more beyond even that, guys, because we have got new shows that are coming to this new all in media network. We are both producing sister shows to go along with our standard. Don't worry. All in is going nowhere. We're still doing our weekly, awesome, big media episode of all in, but we're producing sister shows to go alongside it. And here's the kicker. They're not just podcasts. They're actually video content. They are going to be appearing on all ends, YouTube channel as video shows. And we each kind of splintered off and did a sister show of our own to bring to the all in media network. And I think let's start with talking about yours, man. Sounds good. One of the things that I have seen over and over and over again in my gaming life as, you know, not just as somebody who worked in video game retail, somebody who didn't just right you know, play video games his entire life, somebody who's not just been a Nintendo content creator. I have seen it so, so often. Every 
industry has its own jargon. Every culture has its own slang. And the world of video games is certainly no different. And whether you're just trying to better understand the gamer in your life or you're diving headfirst into the industry yourself, I'm here to help. I'm here to announce the initiation of Gamer Glossary. Now, what Gamer Glossary is going to be, it is going to be, my intent is to release videos bi-weekly. I don't mean every other week. I mean twice a week. You know, there really should be a different word for it because bi-weekly technically means... (laughs) Right. Okay. When I say bi-weekly, I mean twice a week. My intent is to release short form videos about four or five minutes long and each video will cover a different term within the gaming zeitgeist. I have come across so, so many parents and people that have absolutely no clue what I'm talking about when I even say something as simple as this game is a platformer or this is an RPG or this is Battle Royale. Do you know what DLC is or are you familiar with the ESRB? As a matter of fact, the first few episodes of Gamer Glossary, the very first episode is just going to be an explanation of what Gamer Glossary is going to be. But my first two episodes are specifically going to be over the ESRB and PEGI systems, the Mm. video game rating systems, because... Again, this series is going to be for people who are relatively new to the industry. This is not going to be a series targeted at hardcore gamers. If you have someone in your life that is trying to get into the industry, if you have someone in your life that you kind of wish would understand you a little bit better and understand your gaming passion a little bit better, this is going to be a series for them. It's going to be an educational short form video series to educate people on all the goings on within video game culture. It's for all intents and purposes going to be teaching people the gamer language. So the first episode should be going up tomorrow, i.e. Sunday. And then again, my plan is to produce two episodes each week. And if you have any ideas for terms that you think I should feature in an episode of Gamer Glossary, that's another reason to join the Discord. You know, you yes. can reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter and also give me some ideas, but also throw up some ideas in the Discord. If you if you have a term, if you have uh, an idea for a Gamer Glossary episode, let me know. Yeah, that, what a great idea that is, man. You've had that kicking around for quite some time. So it's it's cool to kind of have that have that way for you to explore that idea and, and really give that to the folks. Cause I, I think that's a great idea. And yeah, I mean, our, our listener base is chiefly of course, hardcore Nintendo fans and, and gamers, but there are so many people, you and I both have got a long history of video game retail, as we have talked about on this show. And there's so many people who would like to understand what things like, what is an RPG, but, they have no avenue of doing that. And gaming as a culture has a tendency to be pretty gatekeepy. So I, I really love the idea of like having this welcoming educational environment of, Hey, this is what this means. So welcome to our world. Here's what all of these terms you're going to hear mean. You don't know what a Metroidvania is. <laughs> well, trust me, it's a weird word here. Let Eric help you. 
<laughs> and there's going to be no shortage of uh, things to pull from there because, as you've said, we as gamers really have developed our own language. So, oh yes, oh yes, I could probably produce content for, I could produce content for probably a good year producing videos twice <laughs> a week just on fighting game terms. Yeah, yeah, that's true, man. I love it, but that's not all. We have got another show. As I've said, Eric and I both are producing sister shows in video form for the All In Media Network, the newly announced All In Media Network. And mine is, this one does appeal to the hardcore. This one is for the hardcore Nintendo fan, specifically the fan of weird Nintendo games. You don't say. (laughs) I do say. I'm announcing right here, right now, Keep Nintendo Weird, which is a new show that I'm producing. I'm going... To start at least bi-weekly in the weird term as we've just talked about. It's not going to be twice a week. It's going to be every other week at least to start. That's that's going to be so confusing. (laughs) Yes. I'm thinking every other Wednesday, but we'll we'll see how it goes. If you guys hit me up and you guys say, hey, Seth, like I I love you, but you got to start making this more often. I want I want this on a weekly basis or something like that. I'll, I'll try to make that happen. We're gonna we're gonna see. But to start out, it's gonna be bi-weekly. And what this show is is you guys. It's no secret, right? I love weird Nintendo games. Mm-hmm. Um, I talk about weird Nintendo games as often as possible on the show. And this is a show that is basically completely dedicated to that. It is gonna be me in a kind of conversational context, hanging out with a special guest. And we're going to be talking about a weird Nintendo game that they pick. Yeah, it's not me. This is actually Seth doing his own thing. He's going to get his own guests. He, this is a club out that this is a club that I'm not invited to. I mean, that's not to say that you might, we might, (laughs) we might have you as a guest on keep Nintendo weird. (laughs) May have to have you on to talk about a weird Nintendo game, a little all in uh, special there. But um, the very first episode is live now. And uh, in the first episode, it's our buddy Andros from the Nintendo Pals who's hanging out with me to talk about Photo Dojo, the weird little 3DS photo-based fighting game. So they're going to be short and sweet. We're going to be 35, 45 minutes, and we're just going to hang out and have fun and talk about weird Nintendo games. Very light, very conversational, and I'm just having a blast doing that. And it's a first foray into video content for me. And just like Eric said with Gamer Glossary, you can pop over into the Discord where there is a a, Gamer Glossary's got its own segment, its own channel in the Discord, and so does Keep Nintendo Weird. You can pop in there, you you can submit games or guests that you would like to see me have on the show, and uh, you can chat about these episodes on the Discord there as well. Even more incentive to join. And uh, it's been a blast. I've got two episodes in the can already, and uh, I've got future guests already lined up for it. And it's, it's just been a great, great time uh, making that show. And really just kind of like, you know, we love the Marios and the Zeldas of the world, of course. We're huge fans of all that stuff. But there's these weird little, the, the Rhythm Heavens and the WarioWares and the, the Odamas of the world. These weird little Odama, games. Odama, wow. <laughs> Odama is, uh, is one that we're going to be covering on episode two, as a matter of fact. Um And there's these weird little Nintendo games that deserve love. So this show is dedicated to shining a light on it. Now, what I think the big question of this is that a lot of people are going to be asking is, well, does this mean that you're not going to talk about weird Nintendo games on all end? No, it doesn't mean that. Uh, If we have occasion to talk about 
a game like WarioWare or Rhythm Heaven or something. We're, we embrace everything Nintendo on all in, but this is a laser focus on weird Nintendo. Weird Nintendo almost feels like a subset of Nintendo at large. So I'm not precluding anything to one show or the other, but Keep Nintendo Weird is just going to be focused in that direction in a light, fun, conversational way. And uh, it's actually available on its own podcast feeds, and it's available on the new All In YouTube channel that we've been talking about in video format. So you can search Keep Nintendo Weird and you'll find all that stuff. And I'm, I'm really, really excited about it. Um, and video content in general is something that we want to move kind of forward into as we're looking at the second year of All In. That's something that is pretty important to me and, and important to us. And we, we want to produce more ways for you guys to engage with the content that we want to make. And... I, I'm just really excited, man. I'm really pumped to start making this stuff. Um, and I, I want to let you guys know too that I do intend to start streaming and producing video content that way and get involved with things like Extra Life. I, one of my big goals for this year is for you and I to raise some money for kids for Extra Life. That'd be great. Um, that would be so cool. I know you've worked with Extra Life in the past and you've been involved with Extra Life streams. I have. Um, I've done uh, a few, actually, and it's been a great time every time. And if people don't know what Extra Life is, in November, it's essentially a 24-hour game-a-thon for kids' charity. Extra Life is, is fantastic yearly. As a matter of fact, they specifically do it in November on the longest day of the year on yes. Fall Back, specifically so that it is a 25-hour gaming marathon. It's It's... Man, it's not the easiest marathon to get through, <laughs> but it's just a bunch of guys that get together to play video games. A lot of people play board games. I've been a part of a couple extra life streams where uh, we just we played a ton of board games, stuff like Ultimate Werewolf and Catan, and yeah, uh, just oh, it's so much fun. And and the Jackbox Party Pack and stuff like Fibbage. It's just, it's so great. And all the money goes to charity and you can set up goals. You can set up donation goals to have weird stuff done on your stream. I have seen some terrible things happen with some bean boozled beans during some of these streams. <laughs> oh man. <Yes>. Uh, uh. <laughs> I, I want to get involved with it, man. I, I want all in to be a part of stuff like that. I want to start you know, getting involved with streaming, getting involved with extra life and, and doing some good and getting involved with the community. Again, this discord thing is super exciting and we can, you know, get a community game together, you know, for stuff like Mario party or Jackbox party pack or whatever for extra life, like stuff like that. I, I just, I want to do more of that in year two. That's a major, major goal for us in year two. So again, guys, uh, I just wanted to lay all this stuff out for you, kind of let you guys know where we're at. We looked back at a year of all in. We've got an exciting year ahead. We're not slowing down at all. We're just getting started. Absolutely. And I mean, this was not, this already is not just something where we just sit down in front of a microphone for a couple hours and talk. We put a ton of work into yes. this show every week for you guys. Seth and I already talk. It legitimately feels like having an extra full-time job. So yeah. th there's a lot of love and care that goes into just producing this episode every week. I hope that comes through. I hope that's apparent from yeah. each of the episodes that we drop on you guys, that this is not just a slapdash run of the mill kind of thing. We, 
we know go the extra mile with this and we can promise you that we will be going the extra mile with our other endeavors as well it's going to be a lot of work we understand that but we really believe in what we're doing and we are prepared to put the work in 100% that that's what is so important guys and, and I'll leave you with this if you want to create something create it because Eric and I did so much talking about working together for a long time. And now that we are, we've been doing it for a straight year. We've never missed a week. We had, we had one episode that went up a day late because of a literal hurricane, but we've no never excuse. actually missed a week. Yeah, exactly. Right. No but we've never missed a week. We, we've never taken a hiatus. We've never taken a week off for the holidays or anything like that. We, we work really, really hard on this show and it's because we love it. And we love you guys. We love making it. And I just want to encourage anybody, if you are out there listening to my voice right now and you have got an idea, just do it. Just start. Just simply starting and creating the thing that you want to make separates you from everybody who lets their dreams sit on the vine. You know, So I just want to leave you guys with that. This show is just a testament to creativity. And creativity is just what, what fuels me and what fuels us in this show and we are going to continue to be creative and we are going to continue to create content for you guys in this next year. And I cannot wait for what lies ahead. I can't either. And again, if you have any thoughts on anything that we do here at all, and now that we're expanding, especially do please reach out to us and let us know. Reach out to us on Facebook at all in podcast, reach out to us on Twitter at all in podcast. And please join the all-in Discord server while you're at it. Going to have to get used to saying that, right? I know, right? (laughs) Join the all-in Discord server and like and subscribe to All In, a Nintendo podcast on whatever service you happen to be listening to us on and whatever device you happen to be listening to us on, even if it's an Xbox. (laughs) Especially if it's an Xbox. Especially if it's an Xbox. (laughs) Whether you listen to us through Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, or SoundCloud. Thank you all so much. Especially, quick shout out to our Argentinian fan base. We love you guys especially. Thank you guys for listening to us. And we are so stoked to begin year two of All In. So, I guess that's really it. We put a cap in that first year. Time to move forward, onward, and upward. Seth, you ready? That's it, man. I I am ready. I'm ready to go. And look, we've got an exciting weekend ahead of us with E3. I I really think we started E3 off with a bang. I think we were truly the opening act of E3. Yeah, forget (laughs) Summer Game Fest. We were really the uh, the opening act, the true opening act for E3 this weekend. But we are certainly going to have plenty to talk about when it comes to E3 next week on our first episode of year two of All In a Nintendo Podcast. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, I have been Eric the Ender Dragon. And I have been Seth Station Silicon Valley. We'll see you guys next week. Mm-hmm.